This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, guys, and a little announcement about our tour. Um, We have some good news and some bad news. Um, The good news is we will be at Austin, Texas on 927. We're really excited to do a live show for you guys at Cap City Comedy Club there. So if you live in or around Austin, please come see us. That's messeduplive.com for tickets. Um, Other good news is that one of us has had a very fun professional uh, opportunity pop up and it's awesome. And we're going to talk about it more later. But Unfortunately, it means that we do have to reschedule our Houston and our Dallas dates. We are working with the club to reschedule those as soon as possible. I'm sure you're either going to get refunded or have your tickets. Well, you'll definitely get refunded if you can't make it to the new show date, but or your uh, ticket will be honored at the next show date. So we will get you those new show dates as soon as possible. We're so sorry. We were so excited to see you guys in Dallas and Houston, but you know, scheduling stuff happens and we are super excited to reschedule them and come to you guys eventually. So we will let you know. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun dun! dun. It's That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Lisa Traeger. And I'm Kara Clank. And you guys hopefully by now know what we do. We are just going to 
talk about an SVU episode, break down the true crime it was based on, and chat with an amazing guest from the show. And then at the beginning, we just sort of chat and catch up because Lisa has abandoned me, is currently uh, living across the country just to get away from me, honestly. And it hurts. We are in the time machine, but today, while you're listening to this, is Kara's birthday. And also, I will be seeing you in New York at that weekend. (laughs) So we're all over. We're traveling. We're making... There's a big surprise actually happening this weekend. So stay tuned for that, bitches. You know what I'm talking about. Don't tell them. What big surprise this weekend? What are you talking about? Wait. I'm going to type it in the chat. This is insane that you're not... What's the big surprise? You know my ma- mind is made out of What like, are you talking about? You're going to feel oh, so stupid yeah, yeah. when you read it. <laughs> that weekend. Sorry. I thought you meant like this weekend. We're in the time machine. I'm very confused. Okay. Listen. No, but I am coming home. I'll be home uh, tomorrow. And uh, yeah, I'll come get my car. Maybe let's go get yeah. breakfast burritos. Okay. Yeah. When you come get your car. Yeah. Let's um, breakfast burritos. And... One other thing. Oh, while we're talking about just like jet setting, I'll just get it out of the way. Our, we, I got to keep plugging our tour, guys. We are going on tour. We're so excited to see all of you guys. Thank you for telling us when you buy tickets. It makes me feel good when every time someone says, I just bought a ticket for X show. I, it really does lift my spirits. Um, we're going to be in Austin on September 27th. We're going to be in Dallas at the Improv in Addison on the 28th. And we're going to be in Houston on the 29th. So Texas... This is your opportunity to see us live. Our live shows are so fucking fun. It's not just a listen. I will. I'm not trying to shit on other podcasts. A lot of podcasts live. It's just them at you a table. You are shitting on it. I'm just saying that's fine. <laughs> if that's what you want to do, if you want to go watch a podcast, just be taped live and feel like, oh, magically, I was in the room for that. Wow, how fun! Amazing. Ours is just like a little bit different. It's a full show. It's entertaining. There's visuals. There's clips. There's people coming up on stage. Like it's really fun. It's not just like sitting and listening to a podcast. So I think it's worth your trip. And one show I did bring a skeleton hand and then I've forgotten (laughs) it every show. So stay tuned if I bring a skeleton hand. Oh my God, it is going to be spooky season when we're on the road. You got to bring that skeleton hand back out, girl. I cannot wait for spooky season. Yeah, I cannot wait for it to be cool. I'm going to get a Halloween tattoo for sure this year. Okay, great. That's a great idea. (laughs) Let Rosie help you pick it out. She'll be obsessed. Yes. Yeah. Guess what? She wants to be for Halloween, a bat. Oh, good. Simple, easy. Yeah. And today, time machine, today is your birthday as they're listening. Today, while we record, is the first day of, you know, preschool again for... Oh, yes. Rosie went Rosie. back to school. It's not a big thing because she went to the summer program in the summer. So she wasn't like she doesn't know anything. But she is meeting a new teacher. So she's excited. But, you know. Well, no. And the little pictures. They look so much older. It's cute. She's so funny. Like, because I go, okay, do a smile. She hates smiling for pictures, but she will do it for me. And then I go, okay, now do a goofy one. And that's where she really gets, she really shines, you know. But there were bats on it. So she's really into her bat moment. Yeah, Jared drew those bats on there for her. Here's the thing. She's obsessed with the show PJ Masks. There's a character named Catboy. She is obsessed with Catboy. He wears a blue outfit, obsessed. But he does not have wings. And so she has said, she has been introducing herself to people as Batboy. People say, what's your name? And she goes, Batboy. And so it's really like what she thinks Batboy is in her head is just Catboy with bat wings. So we've sort of talked about it and she keeps saying, I want to be Batboy for Halloween. And I keep being like, there is no Batboy costume. I guess I could get her a Catboy costume and like sew well, wings on it. <laughs> That's not what she's into. She likes Catboy with wings and okay. he's Batboy <laughs> and she made it up. 
<laughs> yeah, buy me. a normal and put some wings on it. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'll buy a cat boy and put wings on it. We'll see. We're, we've been looking at Amazon together and 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 some other resources for Halloween costumes, but we will see what she does. Cause yeah, I don't know. I would like to turn a look. I mean, I did run into a celebrity. I would say, and their oh. girlfriend said that they do a giant Halloween party every year. And we did follow each other and they were like, we'll invite you, but it was drunk in like in May. So who knows? But mm. I will be following up, but I really hope I get to go to this cool person's party. I really hope so too. And I can't wait for you to tell me who that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, we also did get invited to a wedding together, which I thought was cute. And we uh, do have to say we can't go, but that was fun to have a Lisa Cara thing. Well, cause you know, I've been, there's been, you know, I'm on the internet a lot. I'm on the internet. And yeah. there is just, there's like a lot of chats now of like plus ones and who do you like bring someone and not. And it's like, yeah. why is a boyfriend of one year more valuable if then you bring your best friend of 10 years? You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, if you can afford it, I think people should be able to bring whoever the fuck they want to the wedding. Yeah. I let my friend bring a, a date to my wedding who was her friend, who I was friends, who I knew too. And was like, yeah, bring her. Because you you're a girl's girl. Yeah. But here's the thing. I also am not really down with somebody bringing someone that they're like just hooking up with if I'm paying like a lot of money for it. You well, know I, I mean? know on Sex in the City, that was like so weird when Miranda was like, yeah, I'll bring this speed dating guy, Will Arnett, to this wedding. I'm like, yeah. it's your best friend's wedding. You want to entertain a strange man? Exactly. Like, I would so much rather go alone. I'm going to a wedding alone in, a, in, in three weeks in Boston. Huh. Huh. Wait, but can we say who, we can say whose wedding we got invited to together. We yeah, got invited we to a really fun couple, Chelsea Devontes. Chelsea Devontes is a great writer who has an amazing podcast that Lisa and I have been on called Celebrity Book Club. She is marrying Yasser Lester, an amazingly funny comic and writer and actor. And their wedding is just going to be like, I'm actually almost relieved that I don't have to find an outfit for it because I just think the outfits are going to be so over the top and well, amazing. Yeah, so the theme of the wedding is try to outdo us. Yeah. So, because they're fashion icons, and so their whole thing is, like, try to top us, bitch. And yeah. so I think people will be turning looks. Like, they're over the top. Like, Chelsea makes her own shoes and, like, adds, like, little things to him and shit like that. Like, they are over the top. And I've been following her, like, on her stories. I've been following her wedding dress selection journey. And and it's I just can't wait to see what the final product is. And I just was honored that we were invited, and it was hilarious to get an anything that said Kara Clank and Lisa Traeger on the front of the envelope. Like, we were invited as a couple. <laughs> yeah. And I loved it. Loved it. Unfortunately, we're going to be on tour with you guys. And so we won't be able to go to the wedding because we... Yeah, I think we'll be in Alabama. Yeah, we give up everything for you guys. Yeah, Huntsville, Alabama, come see us. Do people listen to us there? Please come see us. Um, okay, wait, wait, you were going to tell me about some Twitter thing. Oh, I was just going to say because we were going to talk about Housewives really quickly because the the Salt Lake City trailer just dropped and it's got all this like juicy Jen Shaw stuff in it. And I was recently on Amy Phillips, Queen Amy Phillips. She's one of the, one of the best Housewives imitators, Housewives expert. She's got a show on Radio Andy. Lisa and I both go on it. And I was just on and she told me about this uh, account called the Bravo Docket. It's also in a podcast. And they are two lawyers that analyze all the legal shit on Housewives. Wow. And I thought you would appreciate that because you, you're like, Housewives has become true crime. You know, we talk about that all the time. Yeah. I mean, also, okay, obviously, Jen Shaw will be going to jail for 15 years. But the additional thing of that Salt Lake City trailer was Heather Gay has a fully black eye. Someone punched her in the face. So, like, do you think who did so, it? Or do you think it's How like else a do you get that? Because she took off her glasses like, look. I could just see the show teasing it and it being like, I fucking 
a huge- Okay, like, then what? Shut her eye fully closed. A baseball bat? What? Like running into a, like a, a plank of wood where you're getting your new, a new beauty lab made or something. Like, I don't know. I just have a feeling it's not from a person. I have a feeling. It's just a feeling. I'd like to hope. I'd like to hope it's like, I know it's not ever real when someone's like, I ran into a door. It's like, you know, that looks like it's from a, a punch. But yeah, it it's an intriguing trailer. It looks really good. Wait, so Southern Charm I've been watching and it is uncomfortable and bad and there's such bad people, but yeah. I'm caught up. I think I, that's up. why I had to stop. I had to stop. Oh, but you stopped. Yeah. I was I was uh, late to join and then I stopped, but I did dabble for a few seasons. So it's like you're just where I was a couple like a year or two ago. And then I think when it got too plantation-y and I was like I got to go, like I can't. They it's also just... sad to watch Catherine. She's really a mess. Like Yeah, but overall it just in jet like I calling someone racist is not bad like they, if you say like that's racist, it's like you can't throw that, and it's like, but you are racist. What are you talking about? Yeah, your family owned slaves, and you will not admit it. Like your family owned people, and you won't even do enough to like actually learn what is happening and what the truth of everything is. And you're offended. You might be called a racist. It's like, even if you're not a racist, you are. We're part of the system, and I just hate how they don't listen or want to learn anything when it's like your family did this. Because yeah. I know a lot of people should be like, we came in the 1900s, not us. But it's like, it was you. <laughs> it's your families. You're living yeah. in those homes. How are you not acknowledging a little bit? It's, it is fucked. Like, it, I know. I haven't, I haven't watched it in a minute, so I don't even know who's still on. But like, it's like Thomas Ravenel, like those people, like Whitney, I don't know. They seem like bad. I don't know. It's bad. I, don't know. I shouldn't watch it, but now yeah. that Paige is in it, it is really tough. Um, You know, I was at her friend Allison's house. Mm-hmm. She's such an adult. I mean, a tortellini pesto pasta salad. She a makes roast it- chicken salad with Parmesan, fresh, not like, a, like I, I couldn't believe it. Made an olive oil cake with, with like fresh a whole, whipped cream. She's like a delicious Whole Foods, like foodie gal. It's great. I literally wrote her a text message. You know what I brought? Reese's peanut butter cups and uh, little, what are those? <laughs> chips. Utz chips. That's what well, I brought to Uts, her house. I think Allison loves Utz chips. She and did, I will she confirm did. she loves Utz chips. That's so actually a perfect thing to bring. But Oh, and I, cocktail weenies. I brought frozen kosher cocktail weenies. I, and this bitch is whipping up salads. I keep interrupting. I'm sorry. It was just uh, no, incredible. I love that. That's very funny too, that you brought the weenies like not with the bread around the outside, just the naked weenies. No, That's really no, funny. no, 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 the whole thing. They had the, okay, they had their outfits. I the thought cr- you just brought like a bag of the weenies. <laughs> no, no, they had their outfits. Okay. No, all I was going to say is I literally texted Allison yesterday and I go, I need your help. I need to know how to make a good salad at home. Like, I don't understand. I buy all the stuff and I'm like, this is all the stuff I like in a salad at Sweet Green. And then it doesn't taste good. And I know Sweet Green like salts their salads and whatever. That's a different thing. It's just, why can I not make it even taste the way a side salad at a restaurant tastes? Like, it's not. Did she help you? What's the Yeah, scoop? she gave me some good tips. She gave me some good tips. Well, tell the She's, listeners. Well, Jesus. she said a Keeping good. A well, she said it starts with the kind of greens that you like. So, like, I gotta, I gotta, I think I gotta not get my greens at Trader Joe's. I love Trader Joe's, but I think I gotta get my greens no, somewhere better. you need better. expensive, nice, yeah. crunchy leaves. Yes. Yeah. And then she said, for her, she thinks it's all about the dressing. So she grates, she um, grates garlic into her dressing, which is usually, I think, just a little bit of like uh, oil and 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 uh, maybe even vinegar, but maybe not. This I gotta bitch look makes up the croutons. Text. She made sesame croutons. 
I've made a crouton before for one of these meal kits, but like, yeah, it's like wild. Like she is really got, she's got it going on with the, oh, come on over. And then just, there's a beautiful like spread, like a beautiful Instagram level charcuterie platter. You know, that's her oh, vibe. So she, after we went to her last show, she showed me a cool restaurant called Commerce Inn. And I uh-huh. went again this past week with a few friends. Um, and I wanted to get a gift certificate for some friends. I asked, they don't do gift certificates. So then our other friend went, oh, can you maybe just call and like, buy a bottle for someone and they go, we don't have a phone. Oh, a lot of restaurants don't have phones anymore. That's sexy. No phone, no gift certificates. Okay. I tried to, I tried to change something with a restaurant and like their website was like, just email us. Like we don't have a phone. Like they're just not here to talk to you anymore. No, they're just here to whip up, you know, delicious salads. I got to try that place. Maybe we'll go there after our uh, meetup in New York. Anyway, guys, we're going to start the episode. We that's messed time. up. That's messed up. Live.com has all people keep going, no Philly. And I'm like, Philly's on there. Or like, they'll be like, are you coming to Boston? It's on there. Check out all of our dates. They're all up at uh, that's messed up. Live.com. And uh, yeah. And I met started? a lot of our great listeners while I was here in New York, bopping around. They came out to the shows. So thanks. I, I enjoyed meeting all of you. Thanks for complimenting me. Yeah. All right, guys. Let's dive into this. Oh, it's a killer episode. episode. So good. All right, all right. It's time to do Rhodium Night, season 13, episode 23. I don't know why this is called Rhodium Nights. I looked it up and I found some Reddit conversation of a bunch of people that were also confused and were, some people were trying to do math about like the chemical compound of rhodium is the number of uh, letters that are in this title. And I was like, I think you guys are overthinking it. But rhodium's like an element that's very shiny and dark or something. So maybe that's alluding to the underworld of high-class sex rings. But anyway, here we go. This episode on Hulu, the thumbnail, is a thumbnail of our girl, Laura Benanti, with the deadest eyes I've ever seen. (laughs) She's just like staring. And she's like barely in this. I know. It's weird. Like, I don't know who's picking the thumbnails over at Hulu, but maybe they thought that well, would Well, Hulu, it's annoying. In. Like, this is a, the beginning of a series of three episodes spanning yes. two seasons. Hulu combines things, fucks the numbers. It's, like, so obnoxious. Yeah. It's like, we don't need to see it the way that it aired on NBC at the time. They're, sep- they're all separate episodes. Just put them... It's so weird. But... We open on a wild party, and you can tell because they immediately show two women kissing. Woo-woo! This party's wild. (laughs) Um, We're seeing some shots through the POV of a video camera, so someone's clearly, like, making a documentary about this party. And then I don't understand really why at all these wild parties there's always somebody, like, fully videotaping it, like, outside of cell phone video. Like, I I don't understand, like, if you're gonna... Well, the criminals like it. You know, this wouldn't be the first rapey situation that caught on tape. Yeah, yeah. But there's, it always, I mean, it also like allows the cops later to have a full breakdown of everything that happened where they can zoom in and say, that person went there, that person went there. So I get why we do it as a TV device, but it's always like, is that guy going to get to enjoy the party or is he just like videography, 
like videographer. It's it's strange. Anyway, so pretty much every woman at this entire party is in lingerie. Everybody's dancing. They're grinding. I see a man being led on a leash. There's cigars. There's coke on mirrors. This is a time. And now we are out on the balcony and there are these finance douche bros talking about like the market and the economy and like bailing out Greece and Italy and nobody cares. And one of the girls that is with them looks super fucked up. She's like slumped over trying to get champagne. She's like spilling it on the bros. They're like, whoa, babe, chill out. And then um, this one guy walks up and tells one of the bros, we have a situation. And the guy who walks up and says that is an actor named Eric Layden. And I obviously know him from Bosch. And he also has, he's very prolific. He was also in The Killing, Boardwalk Empire. He's a character actor. He has a very like Neil Patrick Harrisy vibe to me and he is working, honey. He has a lot of credits. So you've seen him in something. Back inside the apartment, the problem is revealed itself and it is two uniformed police officers standing by the door, music blaring, everyone's still grinding, party is still raging. And the douche guy goes, oh, you're with the third. My dad speaks really highly of your captain. So immediately, we don't know who this douche guy is, but we know that he is super connected with the cops somehow. And they're yeah, like- Yeah, I just like, in what you versus the dad talking about like which captains are killer to his son. I don't get it. <laughs> like over dinner, they're like, you know who rocks? The captain of the third. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. I don't get it. Um, so yes, it's it's nuts, but we get an immediate idea who this guy is. And they say there's been a new noise complaint. And um, my little Doogie, Doogie Hauser guy explains, I'm just throwing my bachelor a bachelor party for my boy. So they're like, we'll keep it down. And then the cops just like buy that and leave. They're like, okay, thank you. Like there's no, like you could just see how these people are getting away with whatever they want. It's definitely the politest behavior I've ever seen from cops. So now it's apparently showtime where The Bachelor is going to get a big lap dance, even though naked women have been like hanging all over him the entire night. This is like the big performance. Um, so two women are like dancing up on this guy and there are so many people videoing on their phones, but there is also the documentarian there with his big ass camera getting all the shots he needs to get this baby into Sundance. And um, Doogie is making out with a blonde woman on the side and they decide to like sneak away to fuck. And then back in the bedroom, there are a thousand coats and purses on the bed. I mean, this party has past apps. I thought maybe they'd have like a coat closet. You know what I mean? But nah, it's just the bed, you know? So- But how many, you, but are there empty coat closets? Like my parents' coat, coat closet is filled. I know, but like this guy has this massive apartment he lives in by himself. Like I would assume there would be like- I don't know, some kind of area for coats or whatever. For some reason, it's so 90s to me. I mean, I'm sure people are layering coats on beds now. and But like, it's such a 90s thing to me. Whenever there's a I Seinfeld, parties, there's a Sex in the City. Like, yes. there's so many, like, storylines based on coat piles. Yeah. <laughs> and SVU. And whenever I had... Uh, there have been multiple people found in coat piles, I feel like, in this show as well. This yeah. is not the only one. Um, I, whenever I had a party in New York, my bed was just a coat pile. I just, I lived in a one bedroom. <laughs> like, I thought this rich man would have, you know, more coat access. But anyway, here we are. They're, they're, they're canoodling on this bed full of coats and Chanel purses. And then, uh, or maybe they're not Chanel purses. I don't know. Maybe they're knockoffs. But then the girl feels like she's on top of something. She pulls a coat back and dun dun. It's the poor wasted girl from earlier, eyes wide open, what looks like vomit on her chin, and she is dead. So, yikes. Uh, they start freaking out. 
Uh, Doogie goes right into spin mode. He is just like, uh, okay, wait, let me figure this out. I got this, I got this. Um, And it turns out that his name is Clayton Hannigan and he is a cable news host. And my money is on Fox News, but they do not specify. Um, In the next scene, Olivia, we find this all out in the next scene when Olivia and Amaro are arriving. They're getting the scoop from the uniformed officers. It's the same two cops from the night before. They're back again. Um, And they're like, yeah, Clayton hosted this bachelor party gone wrong. And uh, they're like, yeah, the victim was found in the rooftop pool. So already we as viewers, we know that's not where she was found. So what's going on? And Liv wants to know why SVU is there. And the cop's like, my captain's not a risk taker. We don't know what that means, but we do find out. So then in a moment of pure comedy, we find out that all these people were in such a rush to get the hell out of there when they found a dead body that they overloaded the penthouse elevator and they have all been stuck in there for over an hour. And I wish that we got some footage from inside the elevator. Would love to see it. It is a fear. It doesn't like overtake my whole life, but well, no one wants to get stuck in an elevator. I guess we're all kind of scared of that a little bit. Yes. Well, I did I did did I ever tell you about when my aunt Did you work at an elevator company? No, but my aunt and uncle had this like really gorgeous like loft in Soho for a few years where the, where they moved and cuz they live they've always lived on the upper west side but they decided they wanted to live in a different neighborhood for a few years. So they moved to this big loft in Soho. I was house sitting it one year in the summer and I had a big party, all these comedians and they had an ele- you needed an elevator to get up to it. I mean, you could take the stairs, but like the elevator was what everybody took and all these comics overloaded it and broke it. And I had to like make up a story. It was like, I don't even know if my cousin listens to this podcast, but if you're listening, don't rat me out. Um, what because- story did you spin? I think I was said that it was just my brother and his two friends in the elevator and it suddenly stopped. Like, I was like, I, I don't know what happened, you know? Like, and then we had to call a person. It was so stressful because all these people, and I think my brother was in the elevator and a bunch of people and they were all like, oh my God, we were sweating. It was a nightmare. Like, everyone was trying to figure out how we could climb out of the elevator. Like, but, and this is like a four-story build, a four-story building. Like, you not it's not that many floors, you know? But I would also be scared to climb out because what if in that moment it started right? It starts moving. It's like, I'm sure I've seen that in a horror movie, but it's like... I think that happens in like speed. Yeah. I love speed. Casey's nodding. (laughs) Speed holds up, dude. It's scary. It's good. Speed is wild. So anyway, these people are living out their speed fantasy stuck in an elevator. And um, up on the roof, they are loading this dead girl onto a gurney and Liv comments about how young she looks. And she must be able to tell because she works in this line of work because I cannot tell how old girls are ever. I'm like, you could be the varsity field hockey captain, or you could be like an executive with a 401k. Like I truly cannot gauge age anymore. Like, especially when I'm taking my kid to school, there's a high school right there. I'm like, you're in high school. Like some of them just look so old. Um, but live. Okay. Chris D'Elia. I know. I'm like, well, they look, no, I'm just joke. I please. I think you can definitely tell when someone's young. I just can't differentiate college high school, college, and like young, just out of college. Anyway, they talk to Clayton. He's all wet and he's telling them that a cater waiter found the body and that this girl must've just been skinny dipping and like, you know, died. And he jumped in, pulled her out and tried to do mouth to mouth. So he's painting himself a nice little hero portrait and he doesn't know her. She must've been someone's plus one. And when Amaro asks for the invite list, he goes, it was more of a word of mouth type of thing. Like, I don't think this guy made an evite, if you know what I'm saying. And Liv's like, you're a journalist, do better. And then Rollins interrupts with Finn 
and is like, Liv, here's the scoop. Like, this is why the local precinct does not want to touch this. It's because the elevator was packed with all these, like, high-powered VIP people. Like, a former Yankee, two current MLB players, an NHL player, two hedge fund guys, two Secret Service agents. And then there's The Bachelor, who is named Will Brady, and he is the police commissioner's son. Dun-dun. And now we finally get to the credits. A very packed cold open. We've got a dead body. We've got a lot of high-powered players. And uh, I love this arc. This three-episode arc was, like, so fun to me when it was first on. I love it. Yeah, it really is great. You know, they don't do it very often. And so it, it was a treat to have, like, the cliffhanger. And sorry to bust... <laughs> sorry to blow it, but there is a cliffhanger at the end of this yeah. episode. But... Yeah, I love when they take this thing and the guest stars have like a stretch. Yeah, it, it, it is very cool. Yeah, and there's a lot of good guest stars in this. I, I will review them as we go through them, but there's like a lot of people. Okay, so top of act one, the detectives are interviewing Will the Bachelor, the little like daddy boy who has a powerful daddy. So he's like, yeah, my dad told me to fully co cooperate. Like, what a tragedy. I'm, I'm super broken up about this girl who died. And um, he doesn't know who she is. And he's like, and he's like, and I don't know if anyone was hired to come to the party. And if anyone was, it, it's not a crime. Like he's, you know, he's like, escorts aren't a crime. They're just dates, you know? And Liv's like, yeah, but all you little sardines in that elevator look like you were fleeing the scene. So what's up? Like, what? why the rush if nothing illegal was going on? And he says to Liv, I get it, detective. You're in a tough spot here. And it's like, Liv's face is immediately livid. And it's kind of like implying that it's, I know it's going to be hard for you to work this case with so many connected people involved. Like, it's going to be really tough. And I, I get where you're coming from. Like, Liv's like, excuse me? Like, she's mad. And then Daddy Cragen has to swoop in to defuse. And Will's like, um, I got to go call my fiance anyway before this whole thing goes viral. And it's like, okay, dog. Um, so Amaro is now talking to Clayton the who I've been calling Doogie up until now. And he and Will are college buds and he is going to be the best man in the wedding. And he says, you know, look, look, when the body was discovered, I was in the living room giving a toast. Wait, I am sorry to go off topic again. You're doing yeah. such a great job, but something did come to me and it doesn't need to be in an intro. I think it's worth it. Do you know that uh, a friend of a friend, I hate this, I, I don't hate it, whatever. <laughs> I got scoop that someone in my extended circle of friends did suck his own dick. What? Do I yeah. know this person? I don't know if you know them or not, but the name sounded familiar and that's why I started laughing about it in my own head. <laughs> but um, yeah, he like walked his legs up on the wall and like did it, but he said, this is the funniest part. I mean, this is sick, but he said it's more like sucking your own dick than getting a blowjob. Right. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> like it feels better to get a hand job than to jerk yourself off, right? I don't know if that's even true all the time with the hand jobs. That's like a controversial take, Kara. Oh, no, I no, I mean, I feel like don't people always like doesn't oh I thought I didn't know that was controversial. Oh, I thought no, guys I liked think, it better when someone else did it. No, I think did. they I think they don't want hand jobs because they're better at hand jobs because they're jerking it all the time. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Wait, what made you think of this? The name sound uh, Clayton, it, it like it reminded me of the name. And then I had just heard the story. So then I just started like la like being disgusted okay, and laughing. Okay. <laughs> and if I have to have this horrific image in my head, now you do too. You so know what I, I mean? And all of our listeners. Amazing. So 
Amaro's talking to Clayton and he's like, yeah, we're college buds. Um, I'm the best man. And he said, uh, when the body was discovered by the cater waiter, I was in the living room giving a toast. So like, it definitely wasn't me that, or like, if you're suspecting anything. And then Finn's like, where'd you get all the girls from? And he plays dumb and he's like, oh, these are all people's guests and dates. Like, I can't stop people from bringing dates to my parties. And then Rollins at the same time is interviewing one of the finance bros who we saw the dead girl earlier kind of like falling all over and spilling her champagne on. And he sees a picture of her and so respectfully says he mostly remembers the top of her head. So he's a douche. But then he goes, listen, she was super fucked up. She could barely talk. And he says, I didn't give her anything, like, but she did seem like she was on something. And he then he like sees Rollins cuffs in her pocket. He goes, you ever use your handcuffs in bed? And she just comes right back and goes, you ever get laid without paying for it? And I like that. I'll give that. I like Rollins uh, telling finance, Wall Street finance bros where they can fucking stick it. And now the squad is all together outside on this rooftop, beautiful room near this beautiful rooftop pool, chatting about how like, look, no one's really talking. Everyone's kind of throwing up roadblocks. And Amaro's like, we should confiscate all the cell phones because these dudes definitely filmed all the action. Cragen's like, with these people, not without a warrant. Let's slow down until we hear from the ME. And, the li- and then lives like sidebars with the captain and is like, why are we going so easy on these guys? And he's like, if we push too hard, they'll lawyer up. Like, Captain Cragen, I think as many years as he's been in SVU, he kind of gets the politics of it all. So now, whoa, now we're at like a scene that I didn't really need to see. It doesn't really like matter in this episode very much, but we're at Amaro's apartment getting a sneak peek into his loveless marriage. Uh, He's on an hour break, wanted to catch some, you know, Z's at home. And Maria is just staring, aka Laura Benanti, friend of the pod. She's just standing on her... Uh, sitting on a couch, like staring at him super blankly. And he's like, what's up? Like, it's so weird. Like, and then she's like, you know, we have to talk about this at some point, right? And he goes, I know. And then it's clearly they're a pending divorce, but they don't really get into it anymore. And it's really hard to care. That's all she is in the entire episode. And they do make her the thumbnail. So congrats, girl. Now we're at Melinda's house, as Lisa calls it. And she's got the autopsy. And she says, what's up? This girl did not die drowning. She had no water in her lungs. She OD'd on scopolamine. Hello, old friend. If you guys remember, I did a sort of a thorough breakdown on scopolamine in the episode Smut, where we talked about this drug. It's also called Devil's Breath. And it makes people able to sort of like walk around semi-functionally while they're completely black blacked out, like creating no new memories. So in the episode Smut, the guy uses it to rape women in like urban legend and and a little bit, they people use it to like, when people come to like foreign countries, they'll like blow it on in your face and then take you to an ATM and make you empty out your whole account or whatever. Like there's all kinds of ways you can use it. Yeah, I don't, I can't imagine there's any good reasons that people are using scopolamine. Well, then here's the thing. So then Rollins goes, isn't that for seasickness? And then I look up scopolamine again and nothing in my original research said anything about this, but I guess it's used a lot for motion sickness, but probably in very small doses, probably not like, you know, like I'm sure it's, I'm sure someone medical or chemistry savvy is going to write us and tell us the difference, but like you can use it, I guess, for any kind of motion sickness and, um, Melinda says it can also be used to treat a few other medical conditions, but this girl did not have any of those medical conditions. So what's up? I didn't know scopolamine had any valid uh, 
uses, but I guess it does. And Finn says, yeah, like I've heard of working girls like slipping it to their johns. And Rollins is like, okay, so maybe someone turned the tables on this girl. And then Melinda says there's no signs of trauma on her except for abrasions on her knees, semen in her mouth and throat, and two and a half ounces in her stomach. It's like a lot of semen to have in your stomach. So then Melinda says that nothing about this really makes it a definitive homicide. So this could have all been like consensual sexual activity. So Melinda goes, it's a cuppy. And I was, I originally glossed over it. And then of course, you know, I Googled it. So cuppy stands for circumstances undetermined pending police investigation. So essentially, we, who knows? Like, we don't really know for sure, but uh, more evidence could back up or support like, you know, what's happened to her, but we're not sure. The Emmy is like not making a, you know, determination whether about it being homicide or not. And Rollins is like, yeah, but somebody put her body in the pool. And Melinda's like, yeah, and that proves nothing. It's your job to prove homicide, sweetie. And Rollins is giving Melinda shit and Melinda is throwing it right back at her. And it truly like was not until I started doing this podcast that I even clocked that these two are enemies. Like these two have a lot of tension. Yeah, I was just thinking, I didn't realize the tension went this far back. Like we've now covered a few episodes where they are not friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this this is season 13. So this is like, like first season of Rollins, maybe Melinda's pissed that Maloney's gone. I don't know. It's weird. But Finn steps in to be like, Melinda, my girl, any way you can help us ID this victim. And Melinda's like, for you, ice, anything. And she's like, this girl had breast implants. We're tracking the serial number. So we finally get a little bit of good news. And um, I mean, (laughs) semi-good news from Melinda. So now we're back at the precinct and Finn is talking to one of the cops who uh, was at the party uh, that night, like the two guys that answered the noise complaint. And he says they responded to the noise complaint at 2.20, gave a stern warning, LOL. Second call was at 3.50, was a woman with a Spanish accent. And then they got a third call from Clayton when they were en route from the from the 350 call. And then Amaro's talking to the other cop who swears he had no he had no idea this was a party for the police commissioner's son and uh, when they talk to Craig and Amaro's like these guys both sound very rehearsed. Like they know, you know, they've probably talked to their IAB reps. They know what to say. Rollins gets a hit on the breast implants and it turns out this girl uh, our victim's name is Maggie Murphy and she's from Winnipeg up in Canada. I've been there. Yeah. I had a therapist from Winnipeg and she told me it kind of sucked. Yeah, yeah. Just cold, I think. Yeah, I um, went to the movies. I like that you could get mini Cadbury eggs at the movie ooh, theater. Excuse. I went to a bookstore. I mean, I was doing shows. I actually met up with Long Lost Family. That's fun. Yeah, it was fun. And there, <laughs> in the audience, there was an arm wrestling competition and they were wasted. It was like all these people from an arm wrestling match came and they were just drunk out of their gourds. And then this was also the place where a man, he kept swirling his ice so loudly. And I went, can you just stop? <laughs> and he stood up and went, you need to shut the fuck up. In the audience? Yes. And I said, I have the microphone. And it was his birthday and they, I had to wait for all of them to get kicked out. And they were like so mad, but you can't swirl ice Stop like swirling <laughs> your fucking ice, dude. They bring up Winnipeg in this show a lot. Remember in the episode about um, with Stevie Lynn Jones, what was it? The episode, uh, Producers Back End. There was a movie called Winnipeg Nights. They like Winnipeg on SVU. I wonder if someone's from there. Because it is like... Wait, you know who else is from Winnipeg? That episode with Steve Howie, the like catfishing in between with the NBA player. Oh, yeah. She was on... um, She lived two hours away from Winnipeg, but Winnipeg was mentioned again, yeah. 
Yeah. You're right. Winnipeg, um, killing it. <laughs> Winnipeg getting its mentions. Okay. So Liv is immediately upset that someone gave a 16-year-old fake tits and Craigan's like, let's focus. Like, we're not going after Canadian plastic surgeons right now. So we find out that Maggie ran away from foster care six months ago and had her checks forwarded to an address in Astoria. I didn't, I didn't know that they would do that. Uh, no roommates at her apartment. No one seems to know her around there. I don't really even know how a 16-year-old girl finds an apartment in New York. It's like, not easy. So Finn's like, what about this girl with the accent who called the police? So then they're like, okay, let's look at the footage that they have from the everybody fleeing the scene. And it's literally just like a parade of these um, strippers and sex workers just leaving all holding their purses in front of their faces because they know exactly where the security cameras are. And like, this isn't their first rodeo and they know how to hide their faces. So they're getting nothing. The Secret Service agents are protected by Homeland Security. The hockey players back in Canada, the baseball players are playing a game hungover. And so they're kind of feeling like they're a little bit at a dead end. And then they realize, oh, wait, if the girl's body was moved, Clayton's penthouse is a crime scene. Cragen says, go back with CSU. It's Sunday. The garbage hasn't gone out yet. These guys always have to dig through garbage. Um, Liv wants to investigate also the multiple counts of statutory rape that happened at the party. But Cragen is like, that's up to the DA. Let's focus on the murder. And Liv is pissed. She's like, this was a kid who spent the entire night on her knees. Like, it doesn't sit well with Olivia, obviously. And then they get interrupted when Will Brady walks in with his lawyer. Um, His lawyer is unnamed, but he is played by an actor named Sam McMurray. He has 198 IMDb credits. I feel like I've seen this man in everything I've ever seen. I truly thought he'd been on multiple SVUs, but this is his only SVU, and his name on the show is Will Brady's attorney. And... He's been in, like, Scandal, Breaking Bad, Friends, King of Queens, one of my favorite movies of all time, L.A. Story. And uh, one of the craziest things I saw when I was looking at his IMDb is that he did a couple of voices on Law & Order, colon, Justice is Served, which is a Law & Order video game that I did not know existed. And this guy has done some voices on it. So anyway... Dude, I just met someone who is working on an SVU walk or Law and Order walking tour in Manhattan, like the Sex and oh. the City ones and stuff. Yeah, she was at a show I was doing. Shout that's out, a great idea, Catherine. Um, I think that's her name. Watch, I got it wrong. They should sponsor us on our podcast. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Wait, but he, um, I'm looking at this actor. Oh, Christmas Vacation. I was like, he seems like such an '80s dude. Yeah. Like, Wait, I Christmas know his Vacation, face. is he, he's one of the co-workers with Clark or something? Yeah, yeah he's Bill. like in so many things that we've watched Whoa, he's also life. Simpsons. No way. And a lot of voiceover, I noticed. A lot of voiceover, like cool animation voiceover. So, so they walk in at the perfect time holding a USB drive full of footage of the party. And it shows Will's activity, the entire party, showing that he never was with this victim. And so... uh they start watching the footage. Liv looks, like, very unimpressed. She He doesn't remember seeing Maggie with anyone, Will says. She seems sloppy and out of it. And I think I saw her making out with a tall, tan brunette woman. And so they're like, okay, what is, we'll go through this footage. What is it, like, four hours? And he's like, more like eight hours. And he's like, what? You only get married for the first time once. And he's trying to be funny, but Liv is not buying it. 
Rollins, Finn, and Amaro are now gathered around the laptops with snacks, and they're all looking at footage of this debaucherous bachelor party. And Amaro's like, these guys probably think these girls like it, like they see them as more than just a payday. And Rollins is like, uh, yeah, men are delusional. We know this. And Finn's like, hey, now, don't tell me you've never been to a strip club. And Amaro's like, yeah, on the job, maybe my cousin's bachelor party, but now it makes me feel uncomfortable. And Finn starts making fun of him, like, oh, are you out there, one of those guys that says, like, no thanks on the lap dance and tries to tell strippers about their their options and stuff. And I just like Finn being funny and teasing Amaro. Well, and we know that Finn loves a strip club. Loves a strip club. And Amaro is like, I respect women. I have sisters and a daughter. You know, the age-old argument that's like, I'm related to women, so I respect them. Um, And that you have to be related to them to respect them. And now um, their little tiff gets interrupted when Rollins finds something. And she's, uh, now we cut to her showing the footage to Liv and Captain Craig's. And we see Maggie staggering in the background of the party, like staggering back to the bedroom. The timestamp is 3.20. 25 a.m. And she's already been doped with a scopolamine. She's like heading back to the bedroom to die, Olivia says, because like she's all over the place. And honestly, I think the the call to 911 comes 25 minutes later. So right after this on the footage, we see Clayton and this blonde woman making their way back to the bedroom. We've already seen this scene, but this is their first time seeing it. Amaro busts in to say that they found vomit on the sheets that were in Clayton's trash and they're going to test it for scopolamine. So now... They're like, we got to talk to Clayton again. He just headed back to the bedroom where this poor little girl went to like, you know, pass out and die. And he must know more than he's saying. And Clayton is, it turns out, is supposed to be leaving that day to cover the crisis in North Korea. I didn't really know that we went over there. I didn't really think we were allowed to go into North Korea, but um, I didn't think they were sending Wolf Blitzer over there these days, but we'll see. Um, Cragen sends them to go get him. He's like, I'll hold the plane with Port Authority. So then Liv hangs back to talk to Cragen, and she's like, we can have the case now that Will is cleared. Like, it's not that high profile now that, like, you know, the police commissioner's son has been, you know, exonerated and found that he couldn't be involved. And Cragen's like, 1PP wants the DA's office to handle this. And Liv's like, great, I'll call my boyfriend Hayden and he'll back us. And Cragen's like, girl, stop. Like, digging into this is only going to lead to trouble. These girls are connected to politicians, DAs, brass. Like, it, it just goes a lot deeper than just like, you know. And he says, we've got to play our cards close to the vest. So that's the end of Act One. Act two, Clayton is now in interrogation with his lawyer. Her name is Kendra Gill, and she is a New Jersey ADA turned defense attorney. I guess she wanted to make more cash, baby. She is in the episode Hot House with Sarah Highland, and she's the one who gives her a break so that she doesn't go to uh, jail forever. She's like, they are like, please go easy on her. She's young, and then she does. And her name is, that actress's name is Gretchen Eagolf. And she says, Clayton will spill all the tea. Don't even worry about it. And he says, listen, they're like, who helped you get the girl into the pool? And she's like, there were, he says, there were some diplomats uh, from Middle East there and their security guys helped me. And Amaro is like, well, he says like, I'm telling you guys the truth. And Amaro's like, oh, like you've been doing with your whole wetsuit mouth-to-mouth act that you told us at the beginning. And he's like, okay, that was a bad mood, but she was dead when I found her. I didn't call 911 right away because Secret Service had it to escort some guests out. I also didn't know she was 16. And they're like, well, at least five of your friends had sex with an underage girl at this party. And uh, who was with you when you found her? And he was like, that was my... He tells them that his blonde is a friend. She's not an escort. She's a friend. And her name is Carissa. And he doesn't know her last name. And Liv goes, oh, so a close friend. (laughs) I love that. Like, the Olivia Shade is so funny to me. So 
Next scene, they're bringing in Carissa, telling her that once she lawyers up, they cannot help her. And she still decides to wait for her lawyer. But before then, she makes sure to create a lot of sexual tension with Amaro. And she's flirting, asking for a drink, and saying she hasn't seen him around. Like she knows every sex crimes detective in the city. Like, do you think she knew Stabler? Who knows? And when she says some water would be great, I really hear an Australian accent. So I go to IMDb, look her up. Her name is Pippa Black, and she is indeed from Down Under. And she is on the Australian soap Neighbors. And she's been on it for like 17 years. So I used to watch Neighbors when I went to Ireland when I was like 11. I watched Neighbors all the time. Anyway, this girl to me... So there's an Irish comic at the cellar now. And... Um, he he introduced himself yesterday. I was like, yeah, we've met. He goes, well, I don't know. You seemed drunk last time I met you. I was like, excuse me, we've met. And he goes, well, no, I know, but I met you. And then the same day, about an hour later, you came up and introduced yourself again to me. And I go, okay, (laughs) touche. I was so pissed, but he got me. And you were like, I got got. (laughs) Um... Anyway, this girl has like a very Naomi Watts, Nicole Kidman had a baby, but kind of generic vibe to me. Margot Robbie, they all do Neighbors and they all come to America. Was Tony Collette on Neighbors? You know, I like they're all on Neighbors. They all love it. But um, anyway, she's like, I haven't seen you around. We get a lot of cops on the job. So she's just being very upfront that she's like a sex worker and she teases Nick for being Mr. Clean. And he's like, actually, I'm married. And it's like, yeah, for about two more minutes, buddy. And uh, Carissa immediately like reads in Nick's eyes that he's been hurt by his wife and he's keeping it bottled up and he needs to release that. Like maybe fucking her would possibly even things right up. And um, it's wild. She's like... uh. She just feels like she can read inside his soul immediately. And then a knock at the door breaks the tension and Cragen's been watching the entire thing, pulls Amaro out and he's like, what's up with you and Blondie? And he's like, well, witness wants to talk, you talk. And he's like, that wasn't about the case, Amaro. Put your dick back in your pants. And then he's like, we got to wait for her lawyer. This all has to be by the book. Cragen like knows from the get-go like this, we cannot fuck around with this, like no cutting corners because like these are powerful people. So the next thing we see is Carissa with her lawyer, the legendary Reg E. Kathy. And he is Aliza Fave. I know him as Freddie from House of Cards, but he was also um, one of the animal smugglers in the iconic SVU episode, Wildlife, which we just covered in Montreal. And he is also from The Wire and Oz. And I didn't know he died in 2018. That's sad. Yeah, he was a legend and rest in peace. Uh, His character is named Barry Quarns and he's telling them that Carissa didn't know Maggie and barely saw her that night. And she says she knew every girl at the party there except for Maggie. She's an escort. She gets paid to do parties, do dinners. And the lawyer's like, there's nothing illegal about that as Amaro and her give each other like fuck me eyes again. So who's your booker? And big shock, Barry Quarns is like, you can talk to him, no problem. I represent him as well. So... Now we are at the apartment of Bart Ganzel. I would say one of my favorite side characters in SVU. He is this like extremely powerful pimp, essentially, but who's also a Seinfeld character, right? Like he's so like dorky and like, he's like a little Jewish man. I don't know. It's funny. He's very funny to me. He's sitting on a couch in like jeans and sneakers. Yeah, George with his... Costanza in like clubber gear. Yeah. Like black t-shirts with gold writing. Um, Such bushy and like an emotional soul, but a criminal, yeah. but bad at it. But also it's, it is very twisted and funny. Yeah. 
So he's like in the couch in jeans and sneakers and like a, a button down shirt that's like very open, like a lot of chest hair. And all these women who work for him are like around him in underwear. And like he's there, he's flirt, they're all flirting with him. And you know, it's like he's, we're getting the idea. He's the king. There's like a party underway, by the way, at this apartment. We're at his apartment in Chelsea. And Genzel is played by Peter Jacobson, who has been in tons of shit, like the Americans, House, he was on for many, many years, Ray Donovan. And what's wild is he played a defense defense attorney in old seasons of Original Recipe, like one season from the 90s and some from the early 2000s. And then that character crossed over to SVU in season 19 and did like three episodes of season 19 as this lawyer, this defense attorney. And it's kind of nuts because I just feel like the Ganzel arc is so memorable to me that, you know, I know they don't care how I feel, but it's just weird to like bring him back as a lawyer a few years after he's this major pimp in this three-episode arc, you know? So anyway... Ganzel's making the rounds at his house and we hear a cell phone ring and who picks up the phone but Brian Cassidy, a.k.a. Dean Winters, a.k.a. Mayhem, a.k.a. a a guest we're desperate to get who keeps eluding us. He hangs up the phone, he kisses a girl goodbye, tells Ganzel, we gotta bounce, we gotta get out of here. And just as they're trying to scurry out, this SVU squad arrives. Cassidy and Amaro immediately start beefing. uh, Like Cassidy's like, where's the warrant? And then he... Amaro's like, slow your roll. And then uh, Cassidy throws a punch at him, just fully cold cocks Amaro in the face. And then they haul him and Gansel both off. So really escalated quickly. Um, in interrogation, Cassidy's like with Amaro and he's like, sorry, bro, I had to make it look real. Like, so we find out quickly, Cassidy's undercover. Amaro's standing there icing his jaw with an ice pack. And he's like, fuck you, man. Like, there's other ways to do this. I've been undercover before. You don't have to like punch people. But we did just see an undercover mother the guy who play the guy who's Rollins' baby daddy does the same thing. Like he like Declan Murphy. Yeah, Declan Murphy like <laughs> pistol whips Carisi. So, you know, undercovers are wild. And I bet watching these two like measure their dicks and fight with each other is getting a lot of our listeners very horny. Cause I know a lot of people love Dean Winters, a lot of people love Amaro. So this is a scene of of uh these two guys. Right. That really is hot. Yeah. Really you know, trying to have a pissing contest. So in walks Benson and she's like, Cassidy, you ass. And then Cassidy grabs her hand with both of his hands, you know, like a cupped shaking of hands and immediately flirts with her, like looks her up and down and goes, you look good. Like it's immediately there are vibes. And he's like, look, I've been undercover with Ganzel for three years. I wasn't going to jeopardize that by like, you know, playing nice with you guys. And uh, he doesn't know Maggie and he knows all of Ganzel's girls very well. And they're like, maybe Carissa brought her. And they're like, there's no way Carissa brought her. Carissa's the queen bee. And then he's like, oh, by the way, Amaro, I heard you two hit it off. So word travels fast that, you know, these two have a connect. And uh, Liv gets these two to chill out. She's like, listen, Cassidy, we need the names of the girls. And he's like, go get that from Ganzel. And for me, you got to put me in Rikers for the night. We got to make this look good. And Amaro's like, one more thing. You and uh, Ganzel were kind of on your way out when we arrived. So did someone tip you guys off that we were coming? And Cassidy's like, who would do that? And he looks really cocky and really menacing. Like, you kind of can't tell, like, oh, has has Cassidy been undercover too long? Because it seems like he's really loving, like, hooking up with all these sex workers and, you know, helping this man run a, a ring. Now we're in with Ganzel, and he's being questioned by Finn and Rollins. And he's like, Maggie is not my girl. And he's like, I have no clue how she got into the party. And he's asked every escort that he sent there that night. And they all say that she came with Anya Solar. But Anya hasn't returned any of his calls. And they're like, describe Anya. She's a tall, tan brunette, which is how they described the woman that, you know, 
Maggie had been making out with earlier. And then, uh, yeah, Genzel also adds that she's hot. And Finn's like, well, we got to talk to her. And Genzel's like, you don't have her? And like, then Genzel just goes, oh man, that just sucks. Like, he knows that probably means this girl is dead, but he's like, oh, bummer, man. Like, it's just funny. He has funny reactions to things. Next scene, we're getting the scoop on Anya. Like, we're at the precinct. She's got a dozen aliases. She's from Colombia. She's 23. She's been in the country on a student visa. But, oh, guess what? She went back to Cartagena on Sunday. And the doorman said she left in a hurry because he remembers everyone. And uh, they found the purse she was carrying in the party footage. And in it is a bottle of scopolamine and it's made out to Anya Brown. So, a lot of things are coming together here. So they're like, okay, what's the deal? Anya brings Maggie to the party and then drugs her. There's like so many easier ways to kill someone. And they're like, it was to cause a scandal. They wanted to hurt Clayton or hurt the commissioner or like hurt somebody because, you know, a dead escort at a party does not look great for anyone optics-wise. And Anya was one of Ganzel's girls though. So let's go talk to Cassidy about it again. So... They go see Cassidy at, like, a dive bar that has strippers in it. I really can't tell, like, where they are. Like, it's not a strip club. It's like... Well, is that, like, Jimbo's or, like, Jumbo's clown room or whatever in L.A.? Yeah, but Jumbo's... Or where Erica used to work in Jersey. Yeah, yeah. It Girardi. feels like the place where Erica Girardi used to work, maybe. But even that had more of, like, a strip club vibe. Like, the... And Jumbo's has more of, like, a cabaret vibe. Like, I don't know. This place looked, like, truly a dive bar where you would drink PBRs, and then there's just a couple yeah. girls shaking their butts. Actually, across the street from the new Little Field, there's, like, a medley type bar that sometimes girls will dance on the bar. Oh, okay. Um, I, I get it, but, yeah. I feel like I like that kind of vibe more. More casual. I Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say it doesn't seem like the girls are the center of the action there. They're kind of just like, it's like the way go-go boys are at gay bars, kind of. Like, they're not, you're not there to watch them, but they're just like there dancing and you love it, you know? Yeah. So they go see him there and he's at, they're asking about Anya. He's being super cagey. He's saying a lot of throaty platitudes like, hookers, never trust him, you know? What's going on with you, Cassidy? And then... Carissa arrives, kisses Cassidy on the mouth, and then tells him the boss misses you. Like, I don't know what's going on with any of these people, what the relationships are. He tells Nick, uh, why don't you and Carissa go catch up? And he says it in a really funny way. Like, I like the way he says it. He goes, why don't you two go catch up? Like, and now, uh, now that Nick's out of the way, he's like, I'll give Liv the info. Like, this is my girl, okay? So he's like, listen, Anya was one of Delia Wilson's top girls and then Ganzel stole her away. Liv doesn't know who Delia is. Delia is runs a high-profile, discreet matchmaking service. She's got politicians, like, really important people, BFDs, he says, big fucking deal. Two ex-governors have her on their speed dial. Like, she's got the high-class clientele. And um, she was number one in town until Ganzel moved in. But now he's got the hottest girls and she's got the highest profile clients. And so they are, like, fighting, feuding. So uh, over on the other side of the bar, Carissa's back to laying it on thick with Amara. She's like, I feel like I can tell you anything like I want to. It's like really, really like hard to listen to. And he's like, don't work me, babe. Like Amaro, he's he's at least not fully falling for it. And she's like, no, I'm serious. Like I'm around if you want to talk or not talk or whatever. And he accuses her of trying to bribe a cop. And then she does a little bit more psychoanalyzing and, be, and says like, I know there's things you don't tell your partner. And it's like, oh, it's hilarious. And then... 
he tries to shame her. Like, is this the life you dreamed of when you were little? And she's like, listen, I'm engaged to Bart, so I'm going to be fine. Like, I'm going to have money. And he says, Ganzel's going to go down eventually and you're going to go down with him. And she's like, do you like saving women, detective? Like, it's very, her dialogue's all very cliche, I feel like, in this episode. Very soap opera, very neighbors. Yes, very neighbors. And, um, you know, they have their, that's their cute little moment. So then Cassidy, back to Cassidy and Liv, he tells her that two months ago, Delia sent a couple goons over to the loft to threaten Ganzel, tell him to stop taking girls, stop taking clients. Uh, And now Ganzel's in the middle of this mess. So why didn't Ganzel say, hey, like, this could be Delia? And, it's like, oh, obviously, Ganzel wants to go after him, her himself. Like, none of these people want the cops involved with any of this. They're going to do their own retaliation their own way. So Cassidy warns Liv, be careful. Nobody knows how deep Delia's hooks go. Okay, so like, in when I'm first watching this episode, I'm envisioning like, oh my God, who's Delia? Like, she must be some, the way Liv looks when she gets dressed up in like a fur coat and says, I need, I'm from Chicago and I need some girls for my party, you know? Like, like I think she's going to be this like high class, expensive looking madam who wears expensive perfume or something. But in the next scene, we're on a farm in upstate New York and a blonde woman is leading the detectives out back to see Delia and telling them that they should have worn boots because they're currently walking through mud and shit. And we find Delia sitting and bottle feeding a baby goat. And this is just not what I pictured of a high-level madam. She is played by Brooke Smith, who... I love. She famously played Catherine Martin, the girl in the well in the Clank family classic, The Silence of the Lambs, which you guys all know I bring up constantly on this podcast. Um, She's also been in Big Sky, Grey's Anatomy, Weeds. Like, the woman is constantly working, very talented. And she just is, like, wearing, you know, like a flannel shirt. sweater. And a sweater. And, like, jeans and boots. It's like she's not— No makeup. Yeah. Very honest, very farm, like a woman who owns an organic farm upstate New York. Um, and she's like, Well, it's like when we met Gus in Breaking Bad, you know, the chicken guy, and we're like, Whoa, yeah, you don't know where a giant crime pin is true. And it's more interesting to sort of make it exactly what you're saying, like unexpected. So, well, they must, they have to be if they're the best of the best, only like, like we have to assume she's better than Genzel, yeah. But it's like also he's like... he's competing with her, but she's not competing with him. Yeah, know? yeah. But you also put a target on your back when you're, like, riding around in an Escalade with, like, all the fancy shit and, like, eating at fancy restaurants. Like, I think if you lay low, you can just enjoy your accent, your, your assets that you've hidden in offshore bank accounts. So anyway, she is sitting there feeding this cute little goat, and the detectives ask her about Anya and Maggie, and she's like, no, not ringing any bells. She plays it so casual. She seems, like, actually very confused about the line of questioning. Like, what's, what's up? What's this about? And then... They're like, tell us about your relationship with Bart Ganzel. And she's like, there is no relationship. I've heard of him. Like, she's really downplaying it. Like, he's kind of inconsequential in my life. I don't care. And um, she's like, look, I'm a mother of three. Between taking care of them and my husband and the farm, I barely have a moment to myself. And she, like, she plays the juggling it all woman card to Benson. She's like, you can relate, detective. And then uh, when they call it, they're like, yeah, but you have time to run an escort agency. She's like, it's a matchmaking service and it's a hobby. 
a mere side hustle. It's not a big part of my life. Um, and she's playing dumb, saying she's never met Ganzel. She doesn't even know anything about the poaching of girls or any of this. And she's so straight-faced. She's just like, sorry, I've got nothing for you. Like, Ganzel seems like a criminal, but I'm sorry you came all this way for nothing. Like, she's truly stonewalling them in a great, great uh, performance. And and in the next scene, Liv's updating Cragen, and she's like, I don't buy the Sunnybrook Farm Act. She thinks Maggie was a full declaration of war from Delia to Bart. And, and Cragen's like, this woman, like, teaches Sunday school. She drives her kids to soccer games. Like, if she's a notorious, like, madam, then it's it's honestly quite a front. And Vice, uh, it turns out, investigated her for five years. Liv's like, I'm trying to get the file. And Cragen's like, yeah, they didn't find anything. Why do you think, like, you're not going to find anything in the files? They never find anything. Why do you think she's never been prosecuted? And Liv's like, so you want me to drop a good lead? And Cragen hands her an envelope that was slid under his apartment door. And it is a photo of him from the Russian Brides episode, which, if you can remember, they send Cragen undercover with this sex worker named Lena and they're all canoodling at the restaurant, and there's photos of, these are photos of that. And he's undercover, and uh, Benson's like, this is totally legit. And he's like, yeah, but taken out of context, it looks really bad. So Daddy Cragen says he's going to have to recuse himself and SVU from this case. And Liv is, like, upset that this is going to get kicked to 1PP when they could be the ones who leaked these photos in the first place. And then they get interrupted as every single scene in the show ends with someone coming in and going, we got something. So something has gone down. The next scene, we're at the Fifth Avenue office of the former governor, Harrison Fletcher. And the former governor was apparently there late working on his memoir with his assistant and had a heart attack. So why do we call SVU? And the guy there goes, I mean, I'm no expert, but the guy's pants are unzipped and they're on backwards. So then we they pan to the victim and it's this old man sitting upright on like a fancy leather couch, eyes wide open, like not even slumped, just as if he were alive, but dead. And uh, yeah, his pants are on backwards, so that's fucked. And uh, I guess now Delia only has one former governor uh, to be on their speed dial. So that's the end of Act 3. And at the top of Act 4, the assistant is telling Rollins and Finn, we were editing Chapter 7 of his book and he just keeled over. She's not very good with the details, this woman. She seems very flustered. They ask about the backward pants and she immediately like admits everything, that the governor was actually getting a massage when he died and that his aide called her over and that's when they met and they dressed him because he was nudie Judy on the couch and they did not want his wife and kids to find out that he died getting a happy ending, as Finn says. And then she points um, them to the Rolodex and is like, the masseuse's contact is in there. And the and then Finn really shades the assistant after she leaves and goes, oh man, that makes me feel better knowing that the assistant's face isn't the last one he saw before he died. It's like, Finn, don't be mean to this Whoa, woman. I did. I miss that. I miss that. He says like, oh, I'd hate to think that was the last face he saw before he died. I was like, Sh-. it's like, it's just this like little frumpy little assistant woman. And anyway, Melinda, with the scoop as always, tells us that this guy did not really die. He did die of a heart attack, but it was not because of low blood pressure. He had heart meds in his system, alcohol, as well as 200 milligrams of Viagra, which is four times the dosage, plus eight milligrams of, she's back, scopolamine. So it was murder. But why would Delia kill a client? This must be Ganzel. That wasn't murder. What? 
But was it murder? But was it murder? So why would Delia kill a client? This must be Ganzel striking back at Delia. So they bring the masseuse into interrogation. But it's so funny. It's like they're getting back at each other, but everyone else is getting murdered. Like yeah. it's not even like their property's damaged. Kill the, one of the, it's like they're just killing the governor. Like what the fuck? And like 16-year-old girls who ran away from foster care. Like I think, I don't know. These are bad people, truly. But uh, they bring this masseuse into interrogation. She says she didn't kill him. She sees him every week, twice a week. She knows like that he is on heart medication. He's not allowed to take Viagra, all that stuff. Rollins is like, we can deport you back to Japan. And she's like, no, listen, when I got there, he was dead. He was lying on the couch, not moving or breathing, and he was naked. She was afraid to call 911, so she called Iris. Iris is her booker at the agency, and she told her, get out of there. So the masseuse left. She was like, he was a very nice man, very generous and very quick. You know, that's the best you can ask for, I think. And now they're questioning Iris. And this is the woman who was walking the detectives back to meet uh, meet Delia at the farm. This is the blonde woman. And her name is, this actress's name is Amy Hargraves. And she actually played Carrie Matheson's sister on Homeland. And she was the main dude's mom in 13 Reasons Why. I knew I recognized her from a bunch of stuff, but she's she's worked on a bunch of things. And those are just two that I remember. And, uh... She confirms the masseuse's story. She's like, listen, I told her to leave and then I called the governor's aide right away. And Iris said she didn't know anything about the drugs that killed the governor and lives like, you've got two daughters, right? Like, if you don't, like, start helping us out, you're going to be, they're going to be teenagers before you get out of jail. And then uh, Daddy Cragen walks in, followed by defense attorney Marvin Exley, played by Ron Rifkin, a legend. He's played this character, Marvin Exley, in seven SVU episodes. So we've seen him before. I think he was in produce, um, producer's back end. Yeah, he was in producer's back end. And uh, he tells- Yeah, you got to be rich to work with Marvin Exley. Yeah, exactly. He tells Iris to shut the fuck up and Liv says, you should help yourself. And he's like, I think she's going to be quiet, right, Iris? And Iris is like, nah, fuck this. I'm not going down for this. I'll talk to the detectives by myself, which- I think that's a big mistake. Big mistake, you know? But she thinks that You're going to die. Like, your daughters will be killed or you will be killed. Like, why are you fucking with these? And also, they, like, have nothing on you. You weren't at the scene. Like, they don't really have anything on you, Iris. Like, it's kind of- I know Livia's telling you you're going to jail. Yeah. I don't know. So the next thing we see are a ton of cops rolling up on Sunnybrook Farm. Marvin Exley's already there. He's beaten them there. They arrest her. She says, I make fresh goat cheese and help people find love. There's no crime here. And Exley says, uh, one of Ganzel's whores must have killed the governor. And Liv says, uh, great, do you have any evidence of that? And then at arraignment... Uh, we've got ADA Rose Callier, who is played by Tabitha Holbert. And she is like an ADA that we haven't really talked about before. She is sprinkled a little bit throughout seasons 13, 15, 16, 17, and 18, but she's usually just in like one to two episodes per season. So I think we haven't really gotten a sense of her yet, but she is one of the ADAs. And... Um, She's like, Your Honor, we have evidence that this is a madam who's been running a prostitution ring for a decade. And Exley's arguing she's a farmer and a mom and a matchmaker. She has no assets. And then the ADA is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the assets are overseas in Anguilla in accounts that Marvin Exley helped to set up. So actually, we're asking that he be dismissed as counsel. And Marvin Exley's like, this is a witch hunt, which Republicans love to talk about. And then the judge sets the bail at $2 million, which... 
you immediately get the sense that that's not going to be that hard for Delia. But uh, she gets out on bail immediately. Her lawyer put his own townhouse up for up for collateral to bail her out. And Exley walks over and goes, yeah, I put my townhouse up. We're, we're old pals. And you guys do not get how deep this shit runs. She's avoided arrest for 10 years. How do you think she did that? She's got the goods on all your bosses, your future bosses, everyone at the top. And he's like, oh, like, he's like, Liv, you think you and your pal Hayden are going to stop her? You're in over your head. And he's like, my expert advice is walk away, little people. Okay. And from Ron Rivkin, you, you kind of believe it. Like, he's really... I'm scared. Uh, Amaro is like, back off, dude. And Exley goes, you think your marriage is rocky now? Wait till the missus hears about your little relationship with the star witness. So it's like everyone in town knows about Carissa and Amaro flirting with each other. And then he's just kind of like, mic drop, Rifkin out. He just walks away. Cragen's like, uh, yeah, well, Amaro, is there anything you want to tell me? And Amaro's like, nope, we're good. And then outside the precinct at night, Amaro's walking to his car, it seems, when he gets approached by Carissa. She looks scared. He's like, let's go inside, but she looks so nervous. She's like, if I tell you what I know about the governor's death, can you protect me? She thinks she's the next casualty in this war between Delia and Ganzel. And he says, he can protect her, but like, let's go inside. And she's like, so she gets all freaked out and goes, no, 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 this was a mistake and run, starts to run off. And Nick's like, first, let me give you my business card. And he's like, call me if you need me. So, you know, what's going on? The final scene of the show, we see a close-up of a vodka bottle on a nightstand and then shockingly pan over to find Daddy Cragen waking up confused. Now, if you, if you don't remember, he's a recovering alcoholic. He does not drink. Why is there a vodka bottle on his nightstand? He immediately sees blood on his own hand. He sees a woman's arm coming out from underneath the covers. He pulls back the comforter and done, done, it's fucking Carissa lying in her bed with her throat slit, dead. Daddy Cragen is shaking in his Hanes white tank top, and that is Dick Wolf, baby. A wild episode. And this is the season 13 finale. Season 14 opens with a two-parter called Lost Reputation and Above Suspicion. And we will be covering one of those episodes in the future, so do not worry. We will get back to the I rest remember of the story. this, like this finale shook my life. Like, I remember this being like, what the fuck? Like, I could, what a yeah. great, yeah, television you used to have to make you, like, want more at the end of the summer <laughs> to come back. You yeah. Know? It's like a And full, they made you wait. It's a full Godfather reference, like, leaving a horse head in someone's bed, like, leaving a dead sex worker who's, like, the star of the investigation who also is engaged to one of these king pimps, right? Like, it's wild, but... Anyway, that's all for Carissa. <laughs> we'll be back with We'll be back with some the real crime. crime. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama, we love a mystery to solve, and you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals, you need the storylines with the twists and the turns, and that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. 
Jane, this is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. All right, so this is, you know, there's obviously layers and layers of crimes. We're just going to focus on one. It's the Greg Kelly rape allegation. Now, Kara, do you remember this happening while you were here in New York? Yes, yes, because Greg Kelly, it used to be on, like, I think like Fox's morning show locally in New York with Rosanna Scotto. And she's very like personable and lovable. He's like an, a full idiot. Like he would constantly be on the soup. The soup would always show clips of Greg Kelly because he would just always say stupid shit or like stuff that was seemed like pervy or I don't know. Like he just, this did not like surprise me when I heard it. I think what surprised me was I didn't know who he, who, how connected he was. So I'll let you get into that. Yeah, so Greg Kelly, like Kara said, is a, a local TV anchor. And who is he, though? He is the son of the police commissioner at the time. So that's Raymond W. Kelly. So we have a police commissioner's son who's a reporter. I think you can see the direct link to the episode. Unless He's you know. like Clayton. He's like Clayton and Will Brady combined into one character. Like, they separated them as characters for this. But yeah. Yeah. Um, he is still working, but on his own show on Newsmax Network. That's whatever. That's right wing. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it says he's a radio host and podcaster or whatever. But I went on his Twitter and he's a very big Hunter Biden laptop guy. Yeah. That's his big thing. And what I always am like, okay, let's say this Hunter Biden sucks. He has no power. He's not in the government. Yeah. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, he's not working. I just don't understand who he has to be good for. Like, I don't understand why his <laughs> laptop's important. He doesn't work. He's just like a cokehead son. Like, I don't get it. But I know, whatever. but they all think that he's involved with, like, all this government corruption and stuff. It's like, it's wild. It's like, don't I don't want to get a look at Eric Trump's laptop. I wouldn't want to know what the fuck is on there. Well, yeah, so once you see Hun yeah, Hunter Biden stuff, you know he's wild. He reposts and loves Ben Shapiro. He's had Eric Trump as a guest on his show. He called the raid of Mar-a-Lago a legal atrocity. So this is this guy, okay? Yeah. Um, so unfavorable to us immediately. Um, at the time of the case, though, he was an anchor on Good Day New York on Channel 5 and a former New York One political reporter. And he has other credits in, like, the military and stuff, but this BuzzFeed News thing... Um, included the soup. It's like, this guy is such a laughing stock. <laughs> like, they were like, he's most known from his often being on the soup. Um, yeah, because so I didn't watch Good Day New York. I just knew everything about them from the soup. <laughs> like, all the time. 
So he was accused of raping a young woman in lower Manhattan in October 2011. There was obviously a conflict of interest from the police department to investigate the sexual assault accusation since it was the commissioner's son. So the case was handed over to the office of the district attorney, Cyrus R. Vance Jr. He, of course, denied the accusation. (laughs) Um, But the woman was in her late... Can you imagine someone being like, I I did do it. I did do it. So where do we we go from here? (laughs) I've never, never seen that. Yeah. Um, so the woman was in her late 20s, early 30s. She was 29, um, and a paralegal. And the but the media kept describing her as an aspiring model actress. But like she kind of dabbled in she was a paralegal. Like yeah. I, there's a lot of spin in this case. It's really frustrating because he's so connected that you don't re- like within the media and the police, you really don't know the truth and the spin that's really happening because par- a lot yeah, of shady a, stuff happens. It's such a spin because paralegal makes it seem like this woman knows the difference between consensual and non-consensual sex. And aspiring model actress makes people think this is a woman who will do anything to get famous, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. So she walked into the 13th precinct um, station house with her sister on Tuesday after 8 p.m. in January 2012. The attack did happen in October. This is January. It took her a while to disclose. She said that she met Kelly on uh, the street and the two went to the South Street Seaport for drinks on October 8th and then went to her office and to her downtown law firm. And that's where she told police the rape occurred. So this is from the New York Times and it's tied in with the, like all of this, it's really a hard time reading the spin or like, you know, seeing the article for what it is because of all these connections. Um, So the article claimed that she later told her boyfriend about the night and he became angry and approached the police commissioner at a public event and told him that his son sexually assaulted his girlfriend. And so, you know, that's, they use that to spin it as like, she actually just cheated on her boyfriend and he got mad. So she cried rape. So that's like their big kind of story. But the commissioner confirms this interaction. Um, And so the boyfriend told him that his son had ruined his girlfriend's life. And the commissioner told him, why don't you go write a letter? Wow. So basically he like was running on the seaport. Like he was like outside and he saw the commissioner doing some sort of speech event. I get into more details about it, but like approached it while he was on his run. He was like, I got to take my shot. If I don't take my shot, I'm going to regret it forever. And was like, your son. And the commissioner was like, why don't you write a letter? Jesus. And that was that. So they both confirmed that that interaction did happen. Um, but the charges were eventually dropped and never went forward. But... 16 days after she reported it, her picture was on the front page of the New York Post with the headline, Shady Lady. This is why the New York Post is like the most disgusting publication. So February 2012, the DA's sex crimes unit chief sent a letter to Kelly's lawyer declaring her office's investigation found no criminal charges were appropriate. And right after that, the Post dropped its identity protection. So early in the case, no outlets named her following a long accepted media standard in protecting the identities of sex crime victims unless they publicly come forward. So it was secret, secret, secret. And then it's like immediately charges dropped and her face is everywhere and like smearing her and what a liar she is. Um, So that's pretty fucked. But it wasn't even just the post. Like immediately it happened. So two years later... This woman finally, Maria DeToro, the accuser, went public for the first time to BuzzFeed News. So that was in 2014. So from 2012 to then, she didn't really say anything, but 
this is when she decided to talk. And she says the, you know, how the tabloids eventually moved on, but she didn't know how to move on. Um, like, you know, she was just like this salacious tale, but like she had to deal with this like trauma for a yeah. long time. She was scared into submission, she said, and she couldn't say anything to the press because her statement to the police was twisted. And so she was scared it would happen again if she did an interview. Like, every, you know, she just didn't feel like her words were being taken at face value yeah. and like used as such. And with all the connections, she was right to be suspicious of everything. Like the DA's office denied BuzzFeed's freedom of information law request for DeToro's report, which is sealed. And DeToro was also denied a request to obtain her own records. That's crazy. So I don't really know how did, but if it's like, I guess if this law is real, they should be, a, but yeah, everything is sealed. You cannot see anything. Yet some of the information was leaked into the press in the early 2012. So she said that they met on 3rd Avenue when she was walking her dog and she recognized him and they chatted and he asked for her phone number and she did give it. So she told her sister and her sister had posted that he asked for her phone number on Facebook. So then they texted and then the next Friday he called her at her office and asked what her favorite sexual position was. So the text, she said, became more casual, trusting, and consensually explicit. Um, the next day on October 8th, DeToro told Kelly she was going to her office on Wall Street um, around noon to finish up some work. And he allegedly suggested meeting up when she was done. And yeah, so everyone said, yes, we're meeting up. She told her boyfriend of three years that she was getting drinks with a girlfriend. So obviously you can see the messiness of this case and yeah. investigation. So um, they met up and headed towards the seaport. So she claims that they both knew that they were both dating other people and that she had told him that like nothing is going to happen between them. And they chatted about that as they walked and talked to get drinks at Jeremy's Ale House. The convo over drinks got more explicit, sexual, and filled with admissions of fetishes and sexual experiences. She says after taking a few sips of her third drink, she said she felt like suddenly like super strongly impaired. And they left the bar. And her memory became just clips and visions and a blur. And she said it was fucked. Like, she only had two drinks. Like, she wouldn't be this messed up. And, like, she couldn't oh, even damn. finish her third drink. That she roofied her, like, too? Jesus. But she was just, like, really fucked up. And he started kissing her. And she rem remembered, like, seeing his bare shoulders, blurred face, and just not being able to move her body or have control over it. And then he sat up on a chair and asked her if she was on the pill. And, like, she remembers waking up alone, rolling over and vomiting. And this is all at her job. And then her bra was unhooked but on. And she just kept puking and puking and trying to clean up her office. Um, she doesn't even remember how she got back to her apartment. Eventually, she disclosed this to her boyfriend and sister and mom. And she said, after she explained it to her sister, the sister was like, wait, so he raped you? And same with her boyfriend. So she wasn't really ready to admit it to herself what happened. But anyone that she told the story to was like, you fucking got raped. Yeah. So then Kelly called her and they discussed how drunk they were. And when she said she didn't remember anything, he filled her in about really graphic details and said that he was trying to put his dick in her throat and she wasn't having any of it. And when she asked if he put anything in her drink, he said he was uncomfortable with her questions and, and did not like where the conversation was going. But she didn't understand how only after two drinks she was unable to remember anything and not even how she got home. So then um, the, what I talked about earlier about the like the boyfriend and the commissioner interacting, that happened on Thursday, October 13th. 
So like five days after. And so the boyfriend was out for a run, like I said, came across Ray Kelly giving a speech at a police memorial on the Hudson River. And he's like, if I don't do this now, I won't ever forgive myself. And so he confirmed the letter suggestion, but instead both he and Maria started texting Kelly and Kelly stopped responding fully. And then done, done. On Halloween, she discovers she's pregnant. And her boyfriend had a vasectomy, so now she's pregnant with this lunatic's baby. She kept trying to keep him in the loop, and Kelly did not respond. And he he's smarter than that. I'm sorry. He's not going to be responding to your text yeah. messages. Like, come on. So she ended up, she did get an abortion, but she kept trying to include Kelly and was like, I'm at the clinic, blah, blah. Kelly just, like, stopped responding to anything ever again. Um, but she did get an abortion. And then not until January 24th did she report the crime. And she had to repeat her story five times as she was like passed around all to all the departments. So, and then like all, and then the press just like had at her, you know what I mean? They really had at her and they built up Kelly and then maybe they're all friends, but they were just saying what a great dude he is. Like one of the reasons a lot of uh, his colleagues did not believe that this, he could have done this was because he was pissed and grilled DA Cy Vance about why he dropped the charges against Dominique Strauss-Kahn. And this is hopefully a case we'll cover in the future. Um, but he is the former International Monetary Fund chief accused of rape in May 2011. Um, so, yeah, and then they did an SVU episode on it called Scorched Earth that we will definitely cover at some point. Yeah, but this is a case you remember living yes. in New York as well. Yeah, so they're acting like because he was convinced that Dominique Strauss-Kahn was guilty, there's no way he could have essentially done the same thing. Yeah, because he was like pissed that the DA dropped it and that they weren't doing hard enough. And so that is all of their evidence to be like, well, yeah, he got mad at this rapist. Why would he rape? So yeah. that's like yeah their thing. Then as I said above, on February 7th, no criminal charges would be pursued was announced by Martha Bashford, chief of the DA sex crimes unit. Now, Linda Fairstein, who has served as the DA's sex crimes unit chief for 26 years until retiring in 2002, was actually on the, a member of the board of Mariska Hargitay's Joyful Heart Foundation. And she is known for uh, prosecuting the 1989 Central Park jogger rape case oh, wow. in which five men were imprisoned for years only to be exonerated in 2002, uh, which is right when she retired. Yeah. So that seems... Like, they're connected. Um, but she said there wasn't any signs of inability to say no. How do you know that? How would she know that? So the evidence for that is that she signed the receipt at the bar, and there's a video of her walking on her own two feet. But hello, Scapolamine. Yeah. But because she was able to sign the receipt, and um, the newscaster guy was quoted being like, our tab was so cheap. Like, she's out of her mind. Like, he was just like, that wasn't like um, a throwaway drink. It meant nothing. Like, it was just like so cheap. What do you mean you got wasted? Um, but I'm really thinking there's like hardcore scopolamine vibes here. Um, so yeah. basically they're saying if she walked from the bar to the office building and paid the bill, like that's what this prosecutor is using to measure impairment or not. And so she couldn't prove that she couldn't say no. And it's I like, guess. what would she, what does she get out of this? What does she get out of if she made it up? If she, what, let's say she got drunk, had sex with Greg Kelly, felt bad she cheated on her boyfriend, wakes up the next day and then 
goes to the, like, decides two months later to tell the police to blow up her life. Like, it just does not make sense why you would do it. Yeah, because her boyfriend already was, like, gonna keep staying with her. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I, and from far, I know they they have stayed together. And the, also, like, the, since there were text messages after and, like, between them and those were also, and, like, the night of it, so those were kind of used to drop the case as well since they had communication after the assault. Um, but Firestein said it's still fucked up, like, with the papers and the press and stuff. So she at least is like, yeah, what happened with the press is really messed up. But charges were dropped. She was all over, like, that she's, like, a lying, shady person. And and he, but he didn't go back. I mean, he's not at a respectable news place anymore, but no. he is working and nothing really happened to him. And yeah. It's just kind of like what happens, I guess, in the episode where it's like these people will yeah. get away with doing shady stuff. And, you know, we're so focused on like legal, not legal, this and like all these details of like consent and not. And it's like these are obviously people who don't like believe in the autonomy or freedom of women. You know what I mean? Like that party scene was yeah. gross to watch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And they so that's just, that. yeah. I just don't understand when you consider what her motive would be. Like, what would be anyone's motive to tell this story about how they vomited all over the place well, and, like, they... I think her, the, their spin is that she's just trying to, like, for her boyfriend not to be mad at her. This is a famous person. Like, you know this is there's going to be press about this. This is a famous person. She must... Like, she knows he's related to the police commissioner, too. So it's like she took a huge risk to go... To the cops. Yeah, but even like while reading a lot of the stuff, I was like, she's lying. Like it is like the spin is real. You know what I mean? Wow. Like it is really fucked. That's why like while reading the Times articles and stuff, I'm like, I don't love the way they're spinning shit. If she, if she went to him, Greg Kelly and said, I'm going to go to the cops if you don't give me $10,000. Okay, then I see that. But she's not asking for money. She's asking, you know, like she's, it's just crazy, like to me to think that all these people that think that women are like making up rape charges just to like fucking spite men or like make, yeah, to destroy men. Cause that's what our, (laughs) you know, like it's fucking nuts. Um, uh, Anyway, thank you for the breakdown. Cause you know what? I didn't know a lot of that. I didn't know about the pregnancy. I think I just knew generally and I know who Greg Kelly is. I remember this case happened. Like that's the thing. I remember it. the allegation and the dismissal happening really quick. Like, that it was, like, not a big, like, a blip in that guy's, like, life. But this episode is also based on an amazing escort rivalry, and we will, of course, cover that when we do our next episode about this three-episode arc. Um, And don't go anywhere because we have an amazing guest. You're going to be obsessed. Okay, guys, guys, when we started this podcast, there were certain people Lisa really wanted to get, Ari Grainer, other people that she said she wanted to get. I have always wanted to get today's guest. She is an actor who has starred in some iconic television shows, Grey's Anatomy, Ray Donovan, Bates Motel, a fan of um, uh, two shows I'm big fans of, Big well, you Sky You can't even get this. Gosh. I don't think I've ever seen you I this excited. I, you can't even say it. This is like, <laughs> I'm stumbling all over the place. This but is most cool. importantly, she played Catherine Martin in a seminal Clank family film called The Silence of the Lambs. But you know her in a three-episode SVU arc as Upper East Side Madam Delia Wilson. Guys, 
pleased to enjoy our amazing chat with Brooke Smith. Hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah. I mean, I hope it's not like a five-minute, you know, episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been dreaming of talking to you since we started this podcast. It's really thrilling that you're here. Delia, so evil. But... (laughs) Oh, she's just misunderstood. (laughs) Come on. I mean, she's such an interesting character because she like lives on a farm and like feeds baby goats, but then is like, what's up? I'm an Upper East Side madam, but I only wear like Wellington boots and vests. Like it's a confusing. She's not what you normally think of. Yeah. I mean, that's that sounds a little Martha, doesn't it? Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. It's like if Martha Stewart had a side business. Exactly. Supplying uh, sex workers to the British and powerful. And I remember, I mean, you guys probably know better than me, but I feel like, you know, it was loosely based on something real, you know, that yes. there was a woman. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, that's and we're going to cover that. So weird. Yeah. And it, it didn't really end well for her, did it? No, I don't think so. I think she's in prison, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you know, did you do any research on the real version or did you just go in? Yeah, not so much. I knew about her and I knew enough about her. And then it was just, I think the whole point was just that she has some, you know, pretty well-placed uh, clients, you know, like pretty high up in the government type uh, people. Yeah. Um, so, but she was Russian, I think, Uh so it's not like I ever decided to make her Russian or any of that because it was, you know, yeah. Well, that would have been a choice, yeah. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, my immediate first question, how was bottle feeding that baby goat? I mean, oh how was that God. experience? I can't believe you're starting there because it's literally like we're going to have to stretch this into the entire interview because it's kind of all I remember. <laughs> that thing had just been born that <gasps> day. No. Oh. Yes. And these are the perks of being an actor. Like, who gets to hold a baby goat and feed it? I can't believe they're ready to work so fast in their Uh, life. Well, I don't know that they asked the goat. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah. No, it's so funny because it's like you see a baby born in a movie and you're like, that's a three month old baby. But like, uh, baby goats, what do we know? That could have been, you didn't have to be a day old. Yeah, no, that's really true, actually. Yeah. I don't think they, they do like hours. Freshly born <laughs> humans. Yeah, that's not allowed. Well, the goat probably, as a baby goat, has like certain union hours it's allowed to work on set. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, like have to get it to its tutor and everything. So I wonder where that goat is now. <laughs> Was the goat well behaved? Like you enjoyed Very the goat time? Adorable. So cute. I got to hold it. It was like a little, oh my you know, gosh. it was very, very nice. Where did you guys film the farm scenes? I'm going to say Long Island. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. I feel like it was Long Island. (laughs) I almost said New Jersey. P.S. Where are you guys? We're in L.A. But I'm in New York right now. I'm in Sunset Park at the moment. Oh, why? I just love it here. I miss it. And we do stand-up comedy. And so coming to New York, you just get to do a lot of it. Party, dinners, friends. I like it. Yeah, I guess I do miss New York. I think I'm starting to realize that. Are you in L.A.? Yeah, I've been here okay. for like, you know, 14, 13 years, wow, something like yeah. that. But I have a daughter who's now in at Pratt. So I've been going to, oh, cool. you know, New York, mostly Brooklyn. I feel so weird about Manhattan, you guys. I don't know. No, I don't Brooklyn really. Is, Brooklyn's the cool spot to be. Yeah, I don't really relate in any way to the city that literally made me who I am. <laughs> Did you grow um, up in New York? 
I did. Wow. And yeah. I actually, oh, look at this perfect pub- publicity moment. Um, I was a punk rocker and I, in the mid eighties, lived in a squat on the Lower East Side and took all these photographs. And I have a book coming out in the fall in November. Wow. Oh, so that's there. so cool. Um, so it's about, uh, you know, it's, there's not a lot of words. It's mostly photographs. Oh God, I'm touching the phone. Hold on. I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, that's, uh, so I'm from New York, but I don't really recognize it. I, I don't, and yeah. even when I stay at my friend's house in Brooklyn and she has a view of like all of Manhattan, I'm like, I, is that Cleveland? <laughs> like, yeah. I have no idea. Like those tall, skinny buildings near Central Park. What are those? Oh, I don't even know. I, I lived in New York for 11 years, but I left six years ago to LA. So I don't really know the sky. I mean, especially, I don't know. I I don't know New York as well, especially because of pandemic. I didn't go for like two over two years, you know. So, yeah. But yeah. you're you're. Were you born and raised Upper West Side? Well, I mean, I was born in Manhattan. I was raised near Nyack. You know uh-huh. where Nyack is. Oh, mm-hmm. a lot of shooting of SBU up there. Peace. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, performed in the Mall Comedy Club before. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> yeah. The Nanuet or the Nanuet Mall is it called? The le- 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 where Levity Live is, right? I don't know the name of them all, but I, I visited Sleepy Hollow. I saw like the, I went to the cemetery. Oh, yeah. I had some fun, but. Nice, nice. But um, New York at night is um, gritty and scary like it used to be. So really? maybe it'll feel familiar. It's yeah. It's gone bad. They, they. Post-pandemic, it's got, well, at first like an older comic was telling me, I was like, he's just an old man. And then I stayed out till five and it's like, oh, this is different. Yeah, I mean. It was weird because I was there last week and I took my daughter, 19, to Tompkins Square, which used to be literally, I knew the payphone number by heart and, you know, sat on a bench there smoking pot with my daughter. It's just so bizarre, you know, like, and, and I, I actually did notice that some kind of old timey things like people shooting up in the middle of the day in the park, you know. Mm That didn't feel like, you know, it was like that a couple of years back. But yeah, uh, no, but the smell of weed is fun when you're walking by. And it's so cool. You get to smoke with your daughter. Yeah, I know. Right. I'd rather people walk, walk smoking weed than on the goddamn cell phone. I, I have a rule. I do not move out of the way. Like if I'm walking and you're on your cell and you're walking, you got to pull over. Otherwise, I'm going to walk right into you. (laughs) Just saying. I like that. And I'm assuming they just offered this part to you. Oh, they did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Offer only, baby. Well, See? and you had done like a lot of law and order. Like you've been in criminal intent. You've been in regular law and order and SVU. You've done the whole trifecta. I I have. And I have to say, I think it took so long for SVU because every time, I think there were a couple times before when they asked me and I, and I was like, do I get raped? Does my kid get raped? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just not really in the mood for that. So uh, this one was like, yeah, I'll do this one. Yeah. yeah. Oh my. This one, you're like, I'm just getting people killed for exactly. crossing me, but exactly. nothing, you're not, you don't really get your hands dirty per se, no. but yeah, a terrifying character. I'm like, so you're- curious which ones you turned down though. Like I, I want to know who, what the, like, that's a wild question to remember, but I'm yeah, so curious who you could have no been. Idea. So cool. I know, I know one involved a kid being taken and I thought, oh no, I can't do that. No. Yeah. Um, too close. Yeah. Yeah. Just too, too. <laughs> yeah. Two SVU, really. Two yeah, SVU. <laughs> but even though you didn't, we weren't like a criminal criminal, you did get, I mean, you were a criminal. You didn't get your hands dirty, but you got a nice courtroom scene. How was, do you remember filming the courtroom scene? 
Oh God, will you guys tell me some stuff? What did I do? <laughs> I don't know. I can't well, remember. your lawyer, your lawyer was Ron Rifkin. Oh yeah, that's, I love Ron. Yeah, yeah. Was that good? Was that fun? I, with that's him? crazy. It's like crazy that I totally forgot that until you said that. <laughs> Is this what happens to people when they come on? They're like, holy shit, he was? He was in it? A lot of people, a lot of people are like, wait, you tell me what happened next? Exactly. We're like, what happened when you shot, when you had that blood all over you? And she's like, wait, I did? Well, we get that a lot. Well, and then we're kind of, like I said, so in depth that we'll talk to someone. They're like, that was 22 years ago. Um, So like sometimes I do feel our questions are inappropriate. With the I mean, let's face it. I could have rewatched it, couldn't I have? I could have like <laughs> prepped. I did three. Google it. I saw it's ten years ago. So ten years you know. ago, the ten year anniversary of that of that full three episode arc that mm-hmm. goes across seasons. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, from thirteen to fourteen. Yes, I believe. Yeah. baby. Right. Yes, there you, you go. got it. But right. um, do you have any memories of like? Working with Marishka, working with Braun, like working, like being on the set or anything, like a- anything our listeners might like. Nice hotel. A little bit of tea. I remember, oh God, I wish I had tea. Um, <laughs> I remember Marishka being very, very nice. She had a baby too. She had a baby, oh. like right there in a crib, baby, wow. like right there. Maybe um, her youngest I mean, one. Yeah, I'm thinking, right? 10 years ago? Yeah. How many does she have? She has three, but I think her oldest son is like a teen, like a 17 or 18. Oh. Yeah. Good luck. (laughs) Uh, I guess that's why she's still working. (laughs) They're still doing this show, yes? Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Okay. What season is it? 24. It's about to be 24. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, they're never going to stop. I think they'll just stop when she stops. I truly don't think they're going to stop it until she stops. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wait, so let me think. Well, when you asked that question, I all of a sudden thought of uh, Law and Order, which isn't the same, but I just remember being in a courtroom in Law and Order. So you'd think, why wouldn't I remember this one? It was more recent, but I remember asking questions and Sam Waterston being like, don't, don't ask questions. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't, it's Pandora's box. If you ask questions, it's all going to fall apart. You know, cause I was like, wait a minute, why was I here if this happened then? Oh. And you know, that kind of thing. He's like, no, 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 oh no, my no. The scripts are in. We only have till Friday. <laughs> like, let's just shoot this thing. At that um, point, it was probably Sam Waterson's like 15th season. He was exactly. like, nope. We don't do yeah. questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Just just play the scene, Brooke. Um, yeah. That's so, so cool. I don't know. I don't remember much else. It's really just the goat. Uh, everybody was very nice. And um, yeah, I do remember that kind of Burberry clothing thing, that yeah. Woolrichy kind of, yeah. And like when they... When they lead you down the courthouse steps, which I don't know if you remember this, when you finally do get busted, they lead you down the courthouse steps. I think you're wearing Wellingtons. I mean, you're oh, wearing yeah. like full rubber boots to court. It's like, oh, because they pick so- me up there, don't they? Is yeah, that what yeah, happens? Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, we <laughs> we want to know how often do people bring up the lotion to you in the streets? <laughs> uh, you know, still they still do it. But less, I'd say less. It used to be weirder, you know, when people would be like, you know, oh my God, my boyfriend does that same thing when he tucks his penis in and you're just like, what? Oh my God. I don't know if I need to know that or that should be your boyfriend or <laughs> I just like, um, yeah. So I do get that sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's I mean, usually that, was- that or Grey's Anatomy because I guess those are the two biggest 
things, you know? Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you get more, do you get more Silence of the Lambs people or more Grey's Anatomy people? I think it's like 50-50 Yeah. Yeah. Because like when Lisa was saying how she sees people and she's like, SVU, 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 I've seen you in a ton of stuff that you've done, but I always am like, oh my God, yes, it's Brooke Smith from, from Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Just like that movie... The listeners know I bring up that movie all the time. Like, it's oh, just like, constant. it was like a seminal movie for me. Like, it was very disturbing. I think I watched it when I was like 12 or 13, maybe too early. And I like really love it. And my family like quotes it and makes jokes about it all the time. I don't know. We're sick. But you're so good in that. Oh, and thanks. that was one of your first big roles, right? Yeah, it was kind of my big first thing. Yeah. yeah. So it was your big thing. Because your... you're also associated not only with lotion, but the song, like the American Girl, I feel like. You know, yeah. there's certain movies where that's all, like all I think about when I hear that song. Yeah. It's it's funny because I'll be like in a mall and I'll hear that song and I'll feel I'll kind of look around secretly. I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> and I'll be like, is everybody gonna mob me now? It's like, <laughs> no, no one sees you, no one is making that connection, Brooke. No. No, but uh, it's just like it is such a song. I connect to one person and that person is you. <laughs> Even Isn't that crazy? Like, yeah. I wish I had met Tom Petty, you guys. I never I met him. I know, I know. Oh, well. So anyway. can I just like take it back? So you grew up in New York or mm-hmm. like the New York area. And mm-hmm. I was reading about you that your mother was this like well-known publicist and had mm-hmm. like a lot of big clients. So was, was that something that kind of sparked your interest in getting into the acting world? Did you already have that? Or like what, how did you get started in this crazy biz. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would say that was it. And that Freud or whoever would probably say that my mom was always off with actors. So, hello, I became an (laughs) actor, you know. Oh, my God. Um, But she was East Coast, so that's a little different. Yeah. And she was different in every way. Like, this morning I was... I'm just going to diss the New York Times once. But um, (laughs) this... And I sound just like my dad, who worked at the New York Times. But... uh, (laughs) I saw the cover today and there was some piece like halfway down about some publicist. And I remember my mom used to say, like, if you're a publicist and you're publicizing yourself, like, you know, what is that? I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, so, yes, grew up around it. And um, I don't know what to say, except I always knew that's what I was going to do. I just always knew. And um, and I and I guess I would say nepotism was a piece of it, probably because uh, Jonathan Demme was a publicist prior to being a director. So he knew my mom somehow. And I think when he was starting to look for someone to play that role, somebody said, oh, you should, you know, talk to Lois's daughter. And and that's kind of how I met him. And boom. Yeah. So there you go. Well, I read the, um, I think it was Vulture did like the anniversary of Silence of the Lambs or like an oral history and you were a part of it Mm -hmm. and talking. Mm -hmm. And I did really love that you're like the only person ever in the history of entertainment that's ever been like, oh yeah, my mom was in the biz and that's how I got connected and then I got a thing. Like no one ever wants to say that. I guess people feel like it means they're not good or something or whatever. But if you had been terrible... A, we would have seen it, and B, you would have stopped working, I think, you know? Hopefully. (laughs) There's a lot of bad actors out there working, guys. Uh, I know, right? Oh, wait, but did you, you saw this whole thing a couple, like a year ago, maybe with the anniversary of Silent Slams, where everybody said that you and the guy who played Buffalo Bill were dating. 
Yes, and it was a picture from my camera of us sitting on the like edge of the pit, right? Like yeah. with our arms around each other, Ted Levine, who was married, and I was like, you know, no, we were I never dated yeah, Ted. Yeah, and every and then you wrote on Instagram and we're like, this isn't true, but cute pick or something. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. And people still didn't believe me. And yeah. I was like, all right, whatever. That was going whatever. so viral for like three days. It was like, can you believe these two co-stars dated? I know. Very weird. Very weird. I mean, I will say, and I've said this before that Jody used to refer to me as Patty Hearst because she didn't really get, I mean, she did get because she had done the accused, but um, that thing of when you kind of overcompensate with an actor who's like on screen torturing you and going to kill you. <laughs> so you kind of bend over the other way when you're off screen. You yes. know? Like we became really tight and uh, hung out all the time when we weren't working. So, well, that's yeah. cool. How yeah, deep was the, the hole? It was deep, you guys. It was, (laughs) and it was in a factory in Pittsburgh, weirdly. Whoa. Um, And so they like, I don't know, they made it. And I could get in it from down below or from the side or from above, but it was pretty deep, I gotta say. Oh my gosh. Well, so Kara's always Silence of the Lambs with you. And wildly, in my theater class in high school, we watched Uncle (gasps) Vanya on 42nd Street. And Yay! so that's my, that was my introduction to you. So. Wait, what theater class? What theater class? Oh, like at my high school, we um, I went to Niles North in the Chicago suburbs. And Mr. Ortman loved him. Um, he retired this uh, past year, but we had a we had an amazing theater department. We had like a full costume right, and scene workshop. And I mean, we had like, we did Equus in high school, Kabuki plays. Wow. Like it was really cool. And I forgot what, we were probably just studying Chekhov or something, but we watched that. And it was oh, exciting. Oh, how nice. Yeah. Shout out to Mr. Orton. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was one of my faves, I think. I think probably my fave. I don't know. And then, of course, I've seen you in Bosch. I'm a huge Bosch head. And Big Sky uh, was one of my big pandemic watches. Loved your whole arc in Big Sky. I was really nervous and scared for you. But I kind of like that your character ends up. Well, I don't want to spoil it for any of the Big Sky heads yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I was happy with how that turned out as well. And yeah. um Yeah, and Bosch, I don't know, they brought me on. This happens to me where they bring me on to be like grumpy and the foil and like <laughs> and I'm like, "Why don't why don't I like that person?" And they're like, "We don't know. We just need somebody to not like that person." <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I just kind of disappeared on Bosch, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah. You were like against the chief, right? Like you didn't like you were making her life a living hell kind of. I think I probably, yeah, because then I remember Amy Aquino and I, Aquino, yeah. Aquino. That's her. Um, yeah, we were like saying, wouldn't it be nice if we could like come together and be women who like support each other and not like attack each other like they always do? And then I was gone. So there you go. <laughs> and then they're like, actually, no, <laughs> no, getting rid of her. No, yeah, we don't want that. She has too many ideas. Do you watch uh, your projects? I do. I feel like there was one recently that I didn't, but... uh no, you know what? There's, I mostly do. I mostly do. Yeah. There have been a couple that I haven't. There was one I did that I'm sure is terrible, but I had so much fun that I don't want to, you know, have that memory. <laughs> do you know it's terrible as you work? And honestly, oh, that's a good question. Well, ugh, no, I'll get in trouble. I can't say much, but uh, I was going <laughs> to say, you know, I just did something recently that I really have no idea what the hell we did. No clue. And so we'll see what they, you know, turn it into. I really don't know. So I guess it's true that we never really know. But I will say I knew on Silence of the Lambs that it was going to be huge. You did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, that one I knew. Yeah. And the other ones, I guess I can't, I know. 
And you ended up being like on Grays, which um, I'm I'm not a Grays person, but I was wondering, the like Dick Wolf Universe, Shondaland, those are kind of two huge, you know, pa- TV powerhouses. How do you how do you think they compare? Oh my God! <laughs> you mean specifically Dick Wolf and Shonda Rhimes? Well, no, just like this, the feelings of the sets, like the you know, being because you've been on, I'm, you you were really recurring on Grey's. Obviously, you did like dozens of episodes on Grey's, but you've been on like three different Law and Order sets and various roles, and I, you probably got a sense for what it's like. I was just wondering if like it's like no, it's Shondaland, like it's this way, and you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, they do feel like different lands. And um, and I remember I had a friend who was on Grey's when I got there who said, okay, at the table read, sit next to Shonda. If you have a major script note, take it right to her right after the table read. If not, go to the writer that's name is on the script because you don't want to make that, you know, you don't want to get into Shonda unless it's really, really structurally something. Um, and I was like, oh my God, okay. And, <laughs> and lately I've been hearing this thing where you can't, like, if you have a question and you want to ask a writer a question, that doesn't always get answered. Uh, in fact, lately it really doesn't get answered at all. I've been finding. Um, like, you know, I was on a show and, um, you know, I wasn't a series regular, but I had this massive scene to do and I really had a lot of questions and I just couldn't get any writer to call me back. And I just thought, well, that's weird because I, yeah. if I'm writing something and you have questions, hit me, you know, yeah. like I'll, I'll, I don't know what that is. I don't know if they, I don't know what that is. It's weird. And then I've, I've worked recently on ones where they don't talk to us at all. That's so wild. That is so crazy. Have you guys not experienced this? Or I don't know if we're working as much as you are. Yeah, but... we're not working as much as you. I mean, but I mean, <laughs> and I don't want to be negative, but I do feel like there is this kind of corporate kind of streamer model thing maybe happening where people are all in their own lanes and they're like, not collaborating as much and maybe right. someone comes up with a great idea but they don't have a lot of experience or something i don't know i really don't know what's i also happening. wonder if it's like remnants of covid too where like i was hearing like during covid like writers weren't allowed to come to the set so then they wouldn't be there like because like only actors can be near each other because of like all these regulations and stuff oh yeah so, but, but they I, have email yeah I mean, oh, yeah they, or call you back yeah. on the phone sure yeah yeah I mean, oh the emails yeah. for, i think i guess that most of our friends too are like comedy writers and i wonder if we're just like more desperate but i feel like everyone i know that does comedy writing there's like punch up on set and people like all my friends that have done that seem to be very involved so i wonder yeah if, you would think the right? genre difference well, I have a. You're in one of my other favorite movies. Um, in her shoes is like. Oh. I watch it all the time, and Mark Firestein's going to be a guest next week on the pod because he's in an SVU. Oh, he plays oh, like. What he do in the SVU? He's this plastic surgeon, rapey guy, and him and his gr- wor- girlfriend drug women and rape them, and then you find out that he actually started dating her when she was a child and made her get all this plastic surgery as they dated. Oh, even worse. That's even worse. Yeah, there's like a body in a yeah. wall and they're drugging a lot of young women. There's a body in a wall. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. But he'll be um, on. But I love that movie so much. It's like... Um, oh, goody. One of my watches. Did you enjoy it? What, did you get? You film it in Philly or no? I did film it in Philly. I did enjoy it. It was hard originally because truth be told, I gave one of the best auditions of my life 
for the part Tony Collette played. In fact, I made the director cry in the room, and I was pretty certain I was going to get it. And um, I did not. So for a long time, my husband said, his, it was his phrase, he would always say, you're, you're not thin enough to be the fat girl in Hollywood. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I did have fun doing it. And I, I remember I had a baby then, so she like learned to walk. You know, that's how I remember these projects now. I guess I'm yeah. 100. I'm 100, yeah. <laughs> wow, was it weird being on set? How did you deal with your feelings on set and being this, you know, the friend? I'm glad you're asking this because, and <laughs> and I hope Tony hears this one day because God damn it, I'm mortified. Um, we were shooting a scene like where we're in a bed and we're I'm the best friend and she likes a guy and he doesn't like her. So what are we doing? We're like, you know, moaning and eating candy like women do. Um, and actually I also took a tooth out in that scene with, uh, I think a juji fruit, if you want to know the whole thing, but not once, not twice, three times I called Tony's character, my character's name. Like I didn't do it on purpose, obviously, but whatever my character's name was, if it was Betty, I was like, so Betty, I don't think you, and on the third time she was like, no, you're fucking Betty and I'm fucking, and I was like, ah, (laughs) my God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) You know, and I just thought, because I love Tony, I have no problem with Tony. I just, I did want to play that part. (laughs) Because, you know, fat girls, I mean, Jesus, it's like, I know what that is, okay? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, the audition. Yeah, it's so funny. The auditions are always just like that. I get her always like she loves to eat lunch. She's a bitch at work. Everyone hates her, and that's like all the descriptions of every one. And then I I help she my rent. To eat lunch. <laughs> yeah, it's always like that's always the description. Then I help our friend Sydney Washington is like a a really beautiful, stereotypically beautiful woman, and I helped her read lines. And the description was like fucks NBA players, so hot. And I was like, it's so fun how we have. Such different things. Different breakdowns. <laughs> different oh breakdowns. Oh, my God. I love the way that every woman is always described as being, like, unbelievably beautiful first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But she I doesn't know, know it. Yeah, she oh, doesn't yeah, know then it. then there's that She one. never knows it. She oh, never, because if she knew it. Because why would, then she'd yeah. be annoying. If she knew it, what a nightmare. <laughs> exactly. Or, like, a lot of my descriptions, like, disheveled, annoying, oh, yeah. you know, but I'm happy yeah. to do it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's available, people. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's just so no. cool. I've never. Uh, we haven't talked to someone, or I've never really heard an experience of like being on set with this like huge part that you really wanted. That's like really wild. Yeah, it was a lot. I remember being like, "Oh, great! I'm sloppy seconds. They're gonna give me scale, and I gotta be the friend. All right, <laughs> I'll do it. You know, I'll be right there." Yeah. Do you have anything coming up you'd love to share with our listeners to find? Yeah, you? besides, well, 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 do you know book. the name of the book yet? Wait, what book? Oh, yeah, my book. book. <laughs> I'm like, what book? Um, Sunday matinee. Sunday That's matinee. I love that. Yeah, okay, Sunday matinee by Brooke Smith coming out this fall. Everyone will check that out. And then any other any like acting projects happening? Um, I in the can. <laughs> a I, there is something in the can. It's I don't think it's going to have that title though. That's the thing. Um, it's an FX limited series with one of my favorite actors, Brian Tyree Henry. Oh, he's so good. I love oh, him. Oh my God. I love him too. I will um, watch him in anything. I love him. Literally the same. I, totally. I, I, ugh, I love him. He's so good. I mean, beyond. Um, yeah. 
And Kate Mara and um, this guy, Jake McDormand. She's an SVU. <laughs> oh, I'll bet she is. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. happened to her? Something bad. Or, no, no was she, she was a bad girl. Yes. She was a that. gymnast that killed her friend because she wanted to be the best. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, go, Kate. Yeah, I love that. What season is that? I'm going to have to look oh, Early, Early, like four or okay. five. It's called Pixies. The episode's called Pixies. Oh, wow. Wait, um, is the FX, is it like a mystery vibe? It's kind of jumps all around in time, past, present, future, FBI, Ooh, okay. AI. There's a lot of AI stuff happening. Um, I'm an FBI instructor. And, oh. um, and it's all about my class. Right now it's called Class of 09. And it's the Class of 09 and what happens to each one of them when they get out of Quantico and... And one of them becomes the head of the FBI and maybe chooses safety rather than privacy. Um, I guess it's all happening in real life right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in our country and others. Um, yeah. So that's that's what that is. I have no idea. I haven't even gone and done ADR yet. So I don't know what it's going right. to be. Well, that's actually on the IMDb as Class of 09. So we'll have everybody check that out when it comes all out. Right. All um, right. This was really Thank fun. you so much. I truly yeah. was like, are we going to get Delia? Like, I was so excited <laughs> to have you. Oh, yeah. Totally. Um, AKA Catherine, AKA all of the different awesome roles you've played. We're so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yay. Thank you, guys. How do you feel, Kara? Oh my God. I just love her. I just want to hang out with her. And I I don't think that she wants to, I don't think she feels the same, but I would like to I go think smoke she would pot smoke with her. Some doobies. Yeah. <laughs> smoke pot with me in the East Village with her daughter. I'll do it. I was like, when she said that, I was like, you're probably such a fun mom. Like, I would love to be like the kind of mom that she is, I bet. No, I actually walked through Thompson Square Park and thought of her on my yeah. latest New York um visit. I was like, wow, this is where Brooke Smith smoked pot. So cool. <laughs> Cool. Um, but I had a speed I, walk. I was running late to something. And, you know, I, I've said this. I keep saying, I think I might have mentioned it in an intro, but I love that she brings up nepotism in a casual, real way. Yes. And I am honored. And it's yes. just like, thank you. you. It doesn't make you less talented. It doesn't. It doesn't make you less worthy. It's just admitting that you had an in and it helped you. Yes. Like, what's the problem? Yeah. You got, I tell everybody about my little legs up whenever I've gotten any. Um, but, you know, I can't wait to see the next stuff that she does. And I bet that that album, I bet that that uh, book of photography she does about the punk scene is like cool as hell. I bet that would be well, an awesome gift for like a coffee table book for your cool, edgy, arty friend. And she gave us tea. I mean, the Tony Collette tea. I mean, that's like, she's great. Love that. Love that. Well, you know, it's funny. We talked about auditions and stuff with her. So I did have a callback today. And I took a sip of White Claw, like, on the call, because it's like for nerd. But then they go, love the White Claw. And I go, well, you know, I'm a little nervous. And then they go, we thought it was part of the character. And I went, it was. It was. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. But the character is wacky. I only go out really for wacky you, oh, parts. You just wear your emotions right on your fucking sleeve, Lisa. <laughs> I know. I can't, I mean, honestly, like we love doing this in the postmortem, but I did send uh, Kara a screenshot of a disturbing text I just got and I cannot wait to discuss it with I, you. <laughs> it's like nuts. It's like, okay, yeah, Brooke Smith was great. Move it along. What's the charity? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 
It's amazing. Um, and um, we it's hard, honestly, on a macro serious level, it's so hard to envision change happening on a big stage because all of the power players are part of this trafficking, yeah. sex trafficking, underage girl rapes. It's like, how do we crush a system when the judges and cops and district attorneys and all of them are... Everybody at the top has secrets. Everybody at the top has to protect their own ass. There's always, like, money. I mean, we just keep running into that, like, in episodes that we're doing for this podcast of, like, yeah, they were found guilty, but then they just appealed and appealed and appealed because they had endless money and then they were out, you know? <laughs> like, it's just... Uh, it's, it's wild. But that Ron Rifkin part at the end really, like, it encapsulates that. It's like, you guys don't know how fucking deep this goes. Like, the shit goes really deep. I was just reading an article on that Hillary Clinton aide who got murdered in, in D.C. And, like, there was a fucking pro-Trump cop that was trying to meddle with the investigation. Like, there's just so much... We look at other countries, like, we look at, like, third world countries we're like, look at all that corruption. We have just as fucking much, you know? We're just on another level with our corruption. Well, and worldwide. I mean, I remember, uh, like, sometimes when you travel, you meet people and they're just like, oh, well, I used to live in this country, but then your country bombed it and now it doesn't exist. And yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, my bad. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like international terrorism. I hope they don't shut down this podcast, but we know the truth. <laughs> uh, I would say another postmortem takeaway from this episode is, like, definitely the don't judge a book by its cover. You would never run into someone who looks like Delia Wilson in her, you know, little padded vests and and Wellingtons and think that she was leaving dead sex workers in beds of Captain Kragen and all this stuff. So, you know, just, you never know what people well, are up to. the best criminals are the most underground because yeah. why do you, if, if you're flashy, you're not that deep. Like, yeah. right? Or you're dumb, like Teresa Giudice. Ju <laughs> right, right. Like... Who, like, okay, the BTK was like a pastor and like a family man. You know, there's like all kinds of, same with that baker butcher of Alaska. Like, I mean, with men, I always believe there can be a second side. What I like on this one is that it's a woman who's got this like devious, sec like, obviously I wouldn't like to see it in real life, but in the show, it's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and then I I really like, I unfortunately learned a lot of uh, uh, sad information about that case against Greg Kelly that you uh, researched because that was so fucked. It is just so fucked that people with power can just like humiliate a victim and like run their name through the mud until they don't want to press charges anymore or until they just like back down and like it's it's so fucked up. It really is. I just had a conversation with a comment. We were talking about like warm-up comedians for sitcoms and it's like the people who entertain the people that are at the, the live tapings, the laughs that you hear and they really have to entertain everyone for six, seven hours. It's really yeah. wild. Sometimes there's Jared's a ladder on their chin. It's like nuts. Yeah. Not for a sitcom. He has. Oh my God. I, He's it's done it just for sitcoms. Like it's, it's called up down because like you have to get up, you have to sit down. Like you have to just keep getting up when they need a break. You just get up and like, are like dance monkey dance, you know? It's crazy. So I guess one of the hot shot ones a long time ago did a thing with uh, an audience member where he like did it, you know, that joke where it's like, oh, just kiss me on the cheek and then you move and you get kissed on the lips. Oh, yeah. And so this woman ended up suing the network and getting all this money because this guy was talented and they wanted to protect, whatever. And we were talking about it and one comic goes, oh, come on, you're going to sue the network. I go, you cannot kiss someone 
without their without consent. Their consent. And he goes, but you have to. I'm like, I don't understand how this is even a conversation. I'm like, you shouldn't talk about this out loud. You think it's okay to trick someone into kissing you on the lips, and you think I'm like, he still has his job, so I don't know why you're so concerned that a corporation lost money. Of course they did, but it's like even these little things where it's like, what world are we living in that you like I have to convince because I'm like well let's change it up and let's say it was a dude and it was like a straight guy who then got tricked into kissing a guy on the lips are you gonna have the same reaction is it just fun and games yeah everyone's chill and cool like I'm sure you would think differently about it I don't know it just like I don't know how we even got here or how it connected to what we were talking about but it was this wild thing of like oh the lawsuits and stuff yeah but it was this wild thing of like yeah you can't do that. Yeah. I don't. And so then it starts little and then it's like, when do you stop excusing this stuff? Yes. You can kiss someone on the lips at work. Yeah. Thank God. That seems like something, honestly, that seems like something Greg Kelly would do. Uh, Oh my God. In the audience at the show, there was like two lawyers that worked together and they pretended they weren't fucking and it's like, we, I, I wouldn't leave them alone and obviously they were fucking. But she kept like, weaseling out of my accusations. And I go, are you guys lawyers? And she goes, how'd you know? I go, the way you're weaseling this together. <laughs> of course, your fucking lawyers. is very she like, apparent. She's like, how'd you know? <laughs> like, you're a twerp. Of course, we love all our <laughs> listeners that are lawyers, but you guys are very good at weaseling out of conversations. <laughs> I'm done doing tangents. Let's move this along. Okay. I'm so sorry. Okay. Let's get to this week's What Would Sister Peg Do? You guys know What Would Sister Peg Do? It is our weekly segment where we point you to a organization, a resource, an article, a book, something that can give you more info about what we touched on in today's episode. And I think this week, since uh, I don't think there's a ton of like, hey, don't get involved with an Upper East Side Madam uh, advice we can give, um, I wanted to point you all to the BuzzFeed article that Lisa used in some of her research from 2014 about the Greg Kelly rape allegation. It's titled, She Accused a TV Anchor of Rape and Got Dragged Through the Tabloids. Uh, It was written by Jessica Testa. And like Lisa mentioned, before this article was published, there was so much spin going on about how the girl was shady and in it for money and in it for fame of some sort. Um, But this article does a good job of laying out the events of the crime in an objective manner and getting Maria DeToro's side of the story, which I think we all should hear. Um, So... You can find that article on BuzzFeed. We also link to it in our show notes. We also put it on our Instagram stories the day that the show is released. And all of our What Would Sister Peg do's are saved into a highlight on our Instagram called WWSPD. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, it was a good read. Thank you for highlighting. And next week, we'll be doing Plastic. Season 20, episode 11. Get ready. Buckle up. It's a goodie. It's wild. It's sexy. Maybe get some lube. There will be girls kissing. (laughs) Bye, guys. See you next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstar, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun-dun! 
Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.